Hey there, Horribles, and welcome to episode 49 of Progressively Horrified. Tonight we have uh, Matt Wilson, and we are talking about Drag Me to Hell by Sam Raimi. It's going to be a fun one with a whole diverse range of opinions about this movie. Uh, it's an interesting one. Uh, while I've got you here, a couple of quick announcements. It's almost October, so in October we're going to be doing some of the classic slasher films with a big party-style podcast full of our uh, our good friends and previous guests. So make sure you tune into that. We're doing some of the classics. We're talking about Friday the 13th. We're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street, Child's Play. We're talking about Saw. Uh, we're talking about Halloween. So be sure to join us all through Scary Movie Month for those. Uh, while you're here, if you haven't, we would really appreciate it if you could drop by our Patreon at patreon.com slash progressively horrified, where if you can even give five bucks a month, you can get uh, episodes a week early, and you can also get our additional podcast that we do just for our Patreon, which is called Progressively Furious, where we talk all about the Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, if you can't do that, we totally understand, and we'd just appreciate it if you could uh, rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast uh that's it for now let's get you to that show until next time stay horrified good evening and welcome to progressively horrified the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards that never agreed to. Tonight we're talking about the 2009 Sam Raimi joint about curses where capitalism is the real curse. None of us can escape. It's Drag Me to Hell. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, my co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? So I didn't know that Justin Long was in this movie. But this is my second time watching the movie. And that says everything about my experiences with this film. That sounds about right. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it's exactly mm -hmm. one helping of Justin Long in this movie. Uh, next up, my frequent collaborator, comics artist and certified vampire aficionado, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Um, ready to yell. All right. <laughs> well, this is the place to do it. And yes. our special guest tonight, one of the hosts of the War Rocket Ajax Movie Fighters Snack Situation and Ghost of a Chance podcast, as well as the writer of Everything Will Be Okay, it's Matt Wilson. Matt, it's great to have you. Hi, great to be here. It sounds like we're going to have a, a wide range of opinion, uh, and <laughs> I am excited for that. I, I like it. Oh, welcome to the marketplace of ideas. <laughs> Normally, uh, I go into these sport. movies yeah. being like, I have questions. Why did the filmmaker do it this way? In this case, I sure have questions, but I have an answer. And the answer is always because it's directed by Sam Raimi. <laughs> I really hope that's not the answer to all of it. But I mean, I, it I tracks. Mean, I feel like that this movie is directed by Sam Raimi is its greatest strength and greatest weakness because it's got that style and that je ne sais quoi that no one else can bring but i also feel like it's definitely my least favorite of all the sam raimi movies i mean i would put there definitely like i think my list of least favorite movies has that in common with your <laughs> list of least favorite sam raimi movies 
Uh, well, a little bit about it before we start. It is directed by Sam Raimi. It is written by Sam Raimi and Ivan Raimi, his brother. Um, it stars Allison Lohman, Justin Long, Lorna Raver, David Pamer, Adriana Barraza, Reggie Lee, Dilip Rao. And uh, we, we'd, <laughs> I, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that the uh, third Raimi brother is in here. He's just a passing doctor, but, you know, <laughs> okay, doesn't have a, a big part re- in it as before. That's your f- red flag. That you've got Ted Raimi and he's just a passing doctor. That's not a good sign that that's how you're using Ted Raimi. Right? Right. Yeah, he's not a hunky bad boy in this movie like he was in Candyman. Bad use of Ted. This feels like this reminded me of the Star Wars prequels in that it's like, (laughs) oh, something is being lost with this much CGI. There's a lot of things that reminded, I think there's a lot of things in common with this movie as with the Star Wars prequels, but I would, I would probably watch the Star Wars prequels more readily. Again. Oh, I, I never would. Absolutely not. Look, just because the memes are good doesn't mean the movies have magically gotten good. <laughs> I mean, I would put it on the screen at least. Like, I got maybe bless- like go cook or something. God bless those Gen Zers for trying, but they cannot make the prequels be good, actually. It's a good world. Spinoffs in that era can be good. The movies, at least one and two, are trash and will forever be trash. Three's got merit because you got Palpatine just being a good old scenery chewing bad guy. The Oral Knots version is funny, but that's a different. All right. Well, we're not okay. reviewing The Phantom Menace tonight, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> it's a different horror movie. Yeah, this uh, a different so, sort. Yeah, so the IMDb. Uh, about this says a lone officer who evicts an old woman from her home finds herself the recipient of a supernatural curse desperate she turns to a seer to try and save her soul while evil forces work to push her to a breaking point uh guys would you say that this is spoopy as in not scary spooky as in a little scary terrifying as in very scary or just generally existentially disconcerting it's gross it's a gross movie it's frustrating an option I mean, I suppose if you want it to be. <laughs> I mean, I think, okay, I honestly, I think it's solidly spoopy. Yeah. This this movie tries really hard to be a comedy, but then there's so many parts of it that are just objectively unfunny. You get like one scene where it's like Looney Tunes violence, and then that's it. Fucking anvil. Yeah. A like, fucking anvil i'm I'm in if you're if that's the tone you're gonna go for like because again i love the evil dead where the main character's reaction to anything supernatural is to respond with overwhelming violence like i'm in but if that's where you're gonna that needs to be the movie not one fucking scene yeah yeah i mean at least the looney tunes was mostly uh slapstick violence and then only a little bit of racism whereas this movie is mostly racism with just a little bit of slapstick violence this feels like it just feels like a comfortable film like in the Raimi style where it's like we've got demon makeup but it's not as elaborate or as interesting as the deadites yeah yeah like we've got the gross out smooth laid but it's a lot more cgi than it normally than he normally does I do think this kind of breaks the scale of of trying to rank in terms of scariness because the, the, the it's all building to the big shock at the end. Like if if the end payoff gets you, it gets you, and if it it doesn't, then 
the movie is lost on you, but like the, it's all building to that. And I think the shock ending really does hit. Well, I'm not it, it's, the, sure. it's the one moment that I would say that goes to the end of the scale. And then the movie up to that point is, you know, yeah, is in that sort of like comedy tone range. So it does really ramp up in one five minute period. <laughs> it's a well, yeah, it's a well executed ending, but I'm not sure how much of a twist it is. Like, I, I'm, well, it's, I, it's, I think it's a twist only on audience expectations. I mean, because, is it on, because that, that's such a trope is just like, oh, you think everything's fine, but it's actually not. We're going to end the movie with like, nope. Like, I, I don't know I, that I, to me, like that's the cliche is that it ends up not being okay at the very end, just when you think it is going to be okay. Yeah, possibly. I, I do think audiences are often conditioned to think that if there is a threat of a thing, as, as is in the title of this movie, the protagonist will always find their way out of it, right? And so the whole movie is find the protagonist, Christine, trying to find her way out of it and thinking she does, and then there's a complication, and then she tries to find another solution. Yeah, and, I, I and, think... And you're conditioned to think that she watched, will eventually get out of it somehow. Our problem and, is we've watched too many slashers where it ends yeah. with the monster rising up, or and we're still all still traumatized from the descent where the twist is, nope, she did not get out of that cave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it is sort of like not getting out of the cave in the descent. But yeah. yeah, it is interesting that the twist, I suppose, is the movie doing exactly what it promises in the title. But I definitely have. <laughs> That's what it says on the box. Doubled. Part of why I feel like the ending lands to me, and I think it might not to other folks, is you know I think it's a it is a the only PG thirteen horror movie Sam Raimi's ever done. Um, it is very it's very much PG thirteen, and she is. I think the movie is pushing you to feel for Christine throughout. I think it's a little, it's a little harder being in 2020 looking back at this movie to not be like, Christine kind of sucks. There's um, a very specific moment where I lose all sympathy for Christine. In, in 2009, let's, let's put this in the context that where it came out though. Yeah. Because this movie comes out in 2009 in the middle of the financial crisis and we didn't know at the time, but we know now that she is actually, Christine Brown is the only banker to face any consequences from the uh, housing mortgage crisis of 2008. Yeah. And yeah, that's the mindset the US is in, in 2009. So I think people are sort of predisposed not to like her, the, the loan officer character. It's, it's, there's a reason she's a loan officer. I agree with you there because yeah. um, I thought about that a lot, you know, thinking about when this movie came out um, and, you know, indexing that that particular time, because like, why else would that be a, a, a subject to the film? Because there's a lot of films that have like, the you know, supernatural curses and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, this this seems like something that was like it's Jeremy said that that this movie was written long before it was released yeah apparently yeah. sam and ivan wrote this right after finishing army of darkness in 1992 and according to like trivia and imdb and stuff then a series of uh they they had other projects come up by which apparently they mean the quick and the dead a simple plan for the love of the game the gift spider-man spider-man 2 spider-man 3 
It's a busy so, time. A, I almost a few things come came up. I yes. almost wish there isn't the line about like we've already about them having already given her two loan extensions because it makes Christine's decision almost like too reasonable. Well, it's I think the movie really, really rides a line yeah. of of at the time. And and I don't know if she was a loan officer in earlier drafts of the script, if it was just some kind of happy accident or it was changed because of the time it came out. But yeah. the 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 way that it rides a line of, of like making her unlikable and having her have moments of being unlikable where she like gloats at the old woman and stuff like that mm -hmm. while also being having a sympathetic backstory of coming from the farm and uh, not feeling up to her rich mother-in-law to be on and on and on. I was okay with, I, I found it to be perfectly likable every time she's yelling at Miss Sylvia Ganoush because I don't care how dickish a banker is, especially just a, lo a low-level loan officer, uh, biting someone to death is not an appropriate response. <laughs> Murder yes. biting is nobody in any kind of customer service should have to worry about someone trying to bite them to death and then curse them. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, that kind of, like, narratively, that kind of falls apart, too, but um, the... Uh... Fuck Mrs. Ganoush, that... Bite murdering psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> Who did she bite murder? Well, she tried to bite murder Christine. Like I assume that was plan A was I'm going to bite you to death, and then the... only when that didn't work. Oh, it's oh yeah, like, okay. okay, fine. I'm gonna go. That's with when the they're. That's when they're fighting in the car. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Well, that was. There's a lot. There's a lot that I have to say about that scene, and we'll get there when we get there because we have to talk about trigger warnings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about trigger warnings. Um, there is, uh, there is. I've, I forgot to mention this before Emily watched it. There is uh, uh, animal death in this Fucking, movie. Of course, there is because the world won't let me be happy. Uh, yeah, it's not just animal death. It's like a cute baby kitten. It's too. progressively horrified. The pet is not gonna make it. Sometimes the pet makes it. How is it that "Don't Breathe" is the only one that lets the dog live? <laughs> uh, uh, of all the movies don't breathe like, demon night yeah the cat didn't didn't die all right so there's there's also uh moderate language there's a lot of broad racial stereotypes in this movie there is definitely anti-roma racism in here including the uh the g slur um mm. there well, is this whole movie is anti-roma like anti-roma propaganda <gasps> oh my god <laughs> Yeah, it's surprisingly for the year that it came out. Like the G word is thrown around with wild abandon. And it's not just the slur either. Like the depiction is just, it might as well be like minstrel show levels of insensitive. It like, really is. It's, there's a line where like, Ganoush has is like, I am a proud woman. And I wrote in my notes, like, you are a proud ethnic stereotype. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. There's also, um, there's a lot of imagery where this old woman gets thrown around and abused and stuff. And I find that like particularly triggering, just like elderly abuse and like older people just being like thrown, even though this woman is 
you know, trying to bite murder somebody, but with her dentures out, which is like, I don't know what she's trying to achieve there. Um, But there's a lot of dehumanizing and like really anti-elderly people messages here. Which again, I feel like it's consistent for Raimi, but he normally puts the old people in more prosthetics first. It's also worth, I suppose, noting that that is true whether Mrs. Ganoush is uh, living or not. Yeah. It's, it's even even after uh, her untimely, or I suppose timely passing, uh, still still happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, pretty clear that she died purely out of spite, like for Christine. Like I, she died <laughs> for the express purpose of making sure that Christine could not apologize or make anything right was the implication I got that it was a pure fuck you. I'm going to stop my heart out of spite. <laughs> Just to become a ghost. Yeah, that's that is an interesting thing in this movie is that they don't ever say what happened to this old woman. So I was I was watching and I was like, well, I assume she just died from her injuries after this car fight. And you know, yeah. this Christine has inadvertently killed this woman while uh still not avoiding the curse somehow. Um I assume like she got home, gave all these instructions to her mate her amazing granddaughter who i wish we got way more of uh sat in her comfiest chair and then just through pure will stopped her own heart yeah this this movie does have a lot of a lot of jump scares that's a thing that bothers you that's all it does it it does a lot of like shadows behind things and things banging and things you know jumping out from behind stuff to the point of feeling like a crutch this movie relies on jump scares yeah because i mean if you have a lot of issues around handkerchiefs, that's another one because there's a lot of handkerchief derived jump scares in okay, this film. All right. <laughs> also, 2009 uh, fabric CGI has not evolved to the point that this movie yeah. needs it to be. Fat shaming is also in this film. Yeah, there's some some yeah pretty yeah, um, rough well, depiction. That's there. Let's put a pin in that one. Uh, can we talk about Christine a little more here? Because I think write okay. some. St- Straight up anti-southern bigotry, just like not even general, anti-southern, like, just anti-rural self-loathing, yeah. anti, anti-rural anti- loathing, anti-farm. Because <laughs> uh, Christine is definitely from Pennsylvania. Yeah, how? Fucking- or perhaps Maryland. The her accent when she's trying to get rid of her accent at the very beginning is a hundred percent Philly. Mm-hmm. So it goes in and out um, because, like. There's definitely, there's one scene in this where I was like, okay, she could feasibly be from North Carolina. And that's when she shoves the, the envelope in uh, Ganusha's mouth and says, choke on it, bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I was like, yeah, she could, she could straight up be from Asheville. Like that felt Appalachian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, Alice Loman is, is from California. So whatever she's doing is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Was that a question of an inconsistent character, or is that Allison Loman can't actually do much of a Southern accent? I, I'm assuming it's that one, and it it was not very well defined where she was from. Just not Look, somewhere. Not, it's just a farm just, somewhere. Uh, okay, now that we've talked about broad stereotypes, uh, let's talk about the prelude to this movie. Um, the beginning where a uh, <laughs> a, a Mexican family uh, runs to they're spiritualist because something is after their boy because he stole a uh he stole a necklace from a i mean they say they say straight out a gypsy woman 
Uh, we're assuming that this woman is is Roma. Um, and they go to Pasadena, by the way. <laughs> And they go to uh, medium Sean Sandina, who tries to who tries to cast out the demon, but uh, fails. That boy, that small boy, definitely gets dragged to hell in the opening. We get so, a. There's the movie. The end. Yep. This movie's demon we get reminds me of both uh, our demon we talked about last week week in the Vivich, and that we've got goat imagery, devilry going on. And reminded me of uh, the Zoom movie in that we are back to the invisible asshole flavor of demon, which is honestly a big favor. Just like a regular person who's just invisible and just stirring up shit. The the demon in this movie suffers from what a lot of this movie uh, suffers from, which is just too much. I think also, I mean, I also have some hairs to split about like, the the demonology in the film um but i think that's because the witch just spoiled me last week is but it, uh, does it have anything to do with the fact that the name they choose for this demon is lamia which is a thing that's definitely real like historically and not a goat um yeah like, it's a well, snake creature it's a snake demon you can it's have a snake it demon thing that chases her around it's but actually it snake themed, and I, not goat themed. Lamia is the is uh, sometimes a, a queen of Libya, sometimes a queen of Italy. Um, that was part of the Greek mythology where Zeus seduced her, and then Hera was mad because that's what happens, and she cries over her children and also eats them, and then her eyes are removable. So I don't know. That's like the the bottom line for Lamia. Um, because here's the thing: is that they show like a Baphometi goaty thing, right? Like it's a goat looking thing with tits, and and it has flies. So I mean, the, the pictures of it depict it very like the goat. It's basically like a goat person with tits, just basically like a Baphomet. Um, I don't know why they didn't just call it Baphomet, or maybe Beelzebub because it has flies everywhere, like. I can't imagine research into for this movie was very thorough or extensive. Obviously, but they could have like just gone with one. Like they just go just go with it's not hard. Um because the demon part was like debatably the most interesting part of the film. Um and the de- scenes where people the were like we're here. Yeah. Yeah. Um and the uh Samara from The Ring fucking take note. None of this 7 days this demon gives them three days. Yeah, and, and it's it not like them the whole way. Yeah, there's no like subtle like there's no brain like it is. They go hard immediately. Um, all right. So I'm a little confused about demon wise is that this demon. They said like they said it spend three days tormenting her, and it's not like it burns her and you know cuts her and does horrible things to her. It just generally makes her life annoying. It bangs on a lot of doors and breaks shit and makes bugs show up places. And like, it's it's just like you said, kind of an invisible asshole. It's it it's, ruined it's a, a perfectly good dinner party, which yeah. it might be a I very mean, waspy demon. Well, it's a flat. I mean, it's insectoid. Matt, maybe. what are your thoughts on this uh, this demon? Demon's gonna drag you to hell and make you wear white after Labor Day. I, I to I honestly feel like the demon of the movie is a non-entity. It, it's it's it feels like she just has some bad dreams and yeah, inconveniences. 
the much bigger complication to me, like what I spend most of the movie focused on is Christine being her own worst enemy or creating more problems for herself or just the, the arc of, you know, trying to find these new ways to save herself. And I feel like that's maybe why the, the Lamia is so kind of like underdeveloped and, and inaccurate in terms of like demonology, because I don't think that's what the Ramies were really focused on either. I think. Yeah. I think you're like, totally right about it being a non-entity, which yeah, feels like such a missed opportunity from the guy that gave us a villain as iconic as the Deadites. I, th- yeah. I think they're more, way more interested in Christine getting in her own way. Like they're more interested in the character than the external entity. They just, the entity is just like so much of the, everything that's external to Christine in a movie, in the movie, which is just kind of like vaguely foreign. It's very yeah. frustrating spending the whole movie right up until the very end, watching Christine go through the movie, not taking responsibility for her actions. Well, yeah. And, and I, I think that is why the payoff ends up working and isn't just sad. <laughs> I <laughs> uh, mean, but, go ahead. Uh, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, th- there's so much focus on, again, trying to walk that line with Christine that I think the demon is, is just there to like have something happen in a moment where something needs to happen. Yeah. Well, yeah the, the only problem have... I have with the Lamia name really is just putting it there is like, it's like just naming a character Hamlet and right. <laughs> just being like, Oh yeah. No, it's just yeah. A name. <laughs> yeah. No, but um, the other thing about that, uh, well, about the demon is that, you know, you, you could easily see the demon as this sort of manifestation of Chris's guilt, you know, because it's her guilt over this um, decision sh- that she made for her and s- for herself. And um, I just feel like the movie didn't really lean into that as much as it could have in terms of like it being more clear whether this was this had to do with Chris. I mean, obviously it did, but like she, her her decisions after that one decision didn't really seem to track because what she was doing was basically following the, the very vague and badly put out directions of uh, the, the seer character, this guy. Um, I, I think oh, that's one of the flaws of the opening sequence is that it grounds the movie immediately uh, in the sense that, like, this is a real, physical, literal thing that's happening. Yeah. And it robs us of that ability to see it as a manifestation of Chris's guilt. I am all, I am a lot more ready to watch this movie be about um, Mexican and Mexican-American people in Pasadena trying to fight demons in Pasadena in 1965. And when this film robbed that from me, I was already mad. So I'm a little I mean, bit... that has still- to be the plot of the next Machete film, right? I like mean, Danny Trejo and Robert Rodriguez, two and Day of the Pasadena. Dead stuff. Yeah, oh, that I mean, would be so dope. Aside from the the Romani racism that is unavoidable, I, I would say the movie's second biggest sin is making all these other non-white characters, like the Mexican family, like the spiritualist, whose name is not Ram Dass, but it's like almost Ram Dass. Ram Dass. Now I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go off on that when we get to him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but making them be there just to serve, you know, Christine's journey 
and yeah. be exotic. Yeah. Um, know? you know, that's like 2009 is certainly on the line of where that's acceptable. I, I mean, it never was acceptable, but you know, where you could get away with it, I suppose, in a movie. I, I definitely hate that the most three dimensional, um, person of color in this movie is fucking stew. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, let's, it let's sucks. talk about Christine a little bit because, you know, we get introduced to her as she's trying to like get rid of her accent. Uh, she has a, some sort of not LA accent. She's, she's going through tapes on that. She is uh, competing for with the new guy, Stu, for a promotion to assistant manager while she's also having to train Stu. Uh, she's dating Clay um who i mean is a justin long character which is one strike against him but uh is like a rich white new college professor with like horribly stuck up parents um and his his one defining different feature is that he uh collects coins um and like talks to his mom he, who he knows is going to talk shit about his girlfriend on speakerphone um in his office in the middle yeah, of the day. What like does he teach? Psychology. Mm-hmm. Which is why he uh, quotes Freud and makes fun of people who quote uh, Jung. Um, yeah, I was, fired. He's so like anti-spiritualism and religion. I'm trying to figure out like, what is it? Like, are you a mathematics guy and you only believe in numbers? He's like, my students better not see me getting my fortune told. It's like, the fuck does that have to do with anything? He is a psychologist or excuse me, a psychology professor that is into Freud, which is all you really need to know about him. That like, okay, my theory about Freud is that he's the only one who really wanted to fuck his mom. And then he tried to convince everybody else that that like that was normal. And somehow the motherfucker pulled it off. I mean, just gaslighting us about mom fucking that. Fuck you, Freud. uh, Yes, correct. So, So here's the thing about Christine to me is Christine, the things that we find out about her are that she used to be fat and she's super sensitive about it. She was raised on a farm and tries to hide her accent. She is insecure and afraid around everybody who has any sort of power around her. She doesn't stand up to anybody, even Stu, who doesn't really have any power over her. Um, And she won't like state any of her own accomplishments unless really drilled about stuff. But she is like determined to hide everything about her past and where she comes from, including her mom, who's an alcoholic and she doesn't talk to anymore. Um, well, don't so, like, they combine the weight issues and the farm issue with her being crowned port queen in a photo they keep referring to? Yes. Yeah, she's the port queen of the of the state fair or something, which is like that. I don't even know how to unpack that. I think I'm going to throw that out, that whole suitcase. I'm going to say that's a contest that's very different depending on where in the country it's held. <laughs> so the, the thing about Christine to me is that she is a person who is uh, only willing to yell at one type of people. And those are people who are socially below her in some way. Like yeah. she's, yeah, she is very satisfied. Like she doesn't really want to throw this woman out of her house, but she's like, well, if I'm going to get a promotion, I got to ruin this lady's life. Um, I I I think the maybe the the phrasing is she's obsessed with status uh, in in every regard uh, she's obsessed with status and yeah. and, and I, go ahead I will oh thank you the, I will say in these first scenes her her position is 
pretty dire in terms of like the, the treatment that she gets from, you know, from what we know, you know, the, the treatment in, at her workplace, the treatment of her boyfriend's mom. Um, and uh, that like does kind of set her up to be sympathetic. However, uh, I mean, not to speak in defense of throwing old people out of their homes, I say about to soldier on regardless. <laughs> I, her loan was extended twice and I heard no plans on how she's going to that on how she has any kind of income stream coming or other collateral or family helping out. What was your plan? Even with another extension, what's your plan, Mrs. Ganoush? You're just kicking that can down the road a, a few more months at most. Listen, but here's the thing, though. This is the one thing that I've taken away from this movie is that if women just started invoking Lamia and Hekati at people, maybe they wouldn't like me. I don't know. Maybe Karens wouldn't be Karens. They would be like, oh, don't fuck with Karen. Are you sure? Because I feel like what this movie proves that like watch out because then the Karens are going to fucking get into witchcraft and like just like start casting curses on anyone that tries to make them wear a mask inside. I mean, that is the uh, the other side of this, which is very dangerous and unsettling. However, I mean, there is the side of it that like the degree that she is a an employee in her workplace who was violently attacked by a customer for doing her job, even if that job was very callous and cruel in this. And like that is not an occupational hazard. She was in any way prepared for it to be physically attacked like that oh yeah well no it's this doesn't it's not an excuse for being physically attacked but um that's what makes the whole situation like so confusing you know and that's what kind of like um not to paint to put a two point let me start that over jeremy this was a reddit thread on am i the asshole this would be a big everyone here sucks yeah everyone that's another thing i've taken (laughs) from this film is that everybody here sucks but not to put too fine a point on it, but this whole situation is a bit toothless um, uh-huh. in terms of because of the it, gums. Well, and here's the thing: is that this whole time too, like the okay, so when Miss Ganoush comes in, also her name's Miss Ganoush, which I'm like, mm, but that's just like a small cherry on small cherry on top of that cake of racist stereotypes. But um, it's a terrible cake. It's bad. It's a very bad cake. Don't eat it. It's full of eyeballs um, that judge you, and they should. Uh, I will say though, when she stabbed the cake, I'm like, ooh, if that's some like raspberry sauce that's inside the cake, that's a nice touch. Yeah, then I'm like, I'll, I'll eat that cake. But anyway, um, the fact that she, the the Miss Ganoush, is depicted as being super gross, and she like the actor, the actress that plays her, is is actually very well i mean she actually looks pretty good she's just acting it's just like you know when kids try to act old like it's that's how she feels like she's trying to act gross because it just doesn't sell it to me except for this like over the top grossness that you know had like she's hawking up loogies that you actually see and like this is our these aren't even like old people things this is like normal human things and it's just it for me it was pretty pretty offensively like dehumanizing of the elderly um, because there was nothing else that was going on with her that was particularly gross. Um, they really, they really play up the sound effects of uh, her grossness, of her hacking things up, and the the sound they make when she spits them out, and um, the noise that removing her dentures. 
which, you know, removing your dentures and putting them on somebody's desk in the middle of a bank is, is pretty unacceptable behavior. But yeah, I mean, it's not great. Um, but the other thing is that her dentures look like rotten teeth. And why? Yeah, that's a big question for me is like, if you <laughs> if she has rotten teeth, then she has rotten teeth. If she's gotten dentures, then why would she get dentures that look like rotten teeth? Does she I just have like a raptor? Apology? They're just they're just old dentures. It looks like she got dentures but, made of her original teeth. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I do wonder. I, I this is a genuine question about the intent of the grossness of this old lady, because mm-hmm. I I think there is an argument to be made. Certainly, that the grossness is f- strictly for gross out purposes to to make the audience go, "Ooh, she's mm-hmm. disgusting." Mm-hmm. However. In a Sam Raimi context, I almost feel like that is Sam Raimi trying to evoke sympathy for that's, this old woman. That's the thing is that I mostly felt sympathy for her, but I knew that like it's not going to be read that way. I mean, I, I understand like, Sam Raimi for whatever reason, like a lot of the old people in this movie are all like terrifying. Like there's the old man that screams at Chris in the car, even though she's not driving. Um, Maybe Sam Raimi is just terrified of getting old, and that's yeah. I, I mean, I think that's figuring. that is evident. But okay. you're so well represented in the new hit beach movie, Old. <laughs> but I do think that, a like, movie part I of don't want to cover on this podcast. Part of why she is so decrepit and coughing and like decrepit and sick and like falling apart like she's got a a dead eye that is from like that died due to an illness she says like part part of me definitely feels like that is in his sam raimi way sam raimi trying to make you say oh don't take this lady's house away yeah i mean i I do wonder because i feel like like in doing research on this like sam raimi's family like are hungarian jews and this woman is like this woman speaks Hungarian um, on occasion and she's, you know, I, I feel like the depiction of her family, which we'll see later at her, her wake is of, of like a community, which is not something we see from the white folks, especially from, you know, Christine in this movie is she is somebody who is doing her best to hide where she comes from and mm-hmm. everything about her community and herself. Whereas like, this woman like dies and has like a whole like huge community of people that show up to her wake. Um, and I, I feel like there's something to be said for like this, this depiction is, does seem like it's supposed to be sympathetic and it does seem like, um, you know, I, I don't think there's any question for most of us that like Christine is, is a bad person who is, mm-hmm. you know, trying to, uh, trying even- to get away with something here. The funeral but, made me go like, so you have all this big giant family and none of them could help you out or give you a place to stay like none of them. This well, is the, a giant family you have here. The big giant family whole situation like, you know, the Jerry makes a good point about having the community and how but I, I don't feel like it is on the surface going to read that way because the entire family is all stereotypes. And at this wake, they're all like you know they have a an audio drop of somebody in the room very specifically saying roll the dice and like 
Um, oh, it is stereotype city up in that funeral. Yeah, no, I mean, it is mm, I, not great. I, I, I would a- be interested to hear from Sam and I'm Remy as to whether, because that scene is also weird because the wake feels like a party and like people aren't wailing and crying. They're, it seems like they're having a party. They're throwing Look, We dice. don't know what their relationship with her was. This, yeah. this might truly <laughs> be well, a celebration but, but, for but, everyone but, involved. You, maybe. I, look, I, I have no... I mean, that's I also have, like a traditional wake, though. Like, traditional wakes are parties. Yeah. Well, th- well that's what I'm saying. I have no cultural context for that. Um, and, and given that the Ramis come from you know, that Hungarian Jewish background, maybe they do, maybe they know more about that than I do. I yeah. wish um, we saw more of the granddaughter character, A, because her open contempt for Christine is a lot of fun, and B, just because she's got that big step on, like, please step on me energy. Yeah, <laughs> but, which but, is also sadly a, a, a Roma stereotype, but um, I mean, there's no getting away from it. Well, the, the you know, the, the tall lady from Resident Evil certainly carries on that tradition. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but the, the 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 what I'm trying to get at here the is, objectification of the Roma people either uh, to sexualize or to monsterify them is the whole movie. Max yeah. three quarters. Yeah, I, I the the point I was trying to make. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I never mind. I I take nope. a lot. It's a long walk. The, <laughs> That's the, what we're here for. Let's what, go what on I'm, that walk. What I'm trying to say is. Um, there's a lot of things that I think you could eventually find a charitable read for in here. The problem is that so much of that material sometimes feels underbaked. And so it, there, there, there's not a handhold to find always. And, and I, that, that leads me up to what I was going to say about another element of Christine is a lot of her actions, or at least certainly her initial action of denying the loan extension is there, there's an argument to be made there that that is driven by uh, the sexist work environment that she comes from where her boss is asking her to get him lunch and yeah. the, the male test, the testosterone of her boss and her competitor for this new job is, is driving her to do things that she wouldn't otherwise do but she feels like she has to do this to stay competitive and, and exist in their world. And yeah, they, they keep conflating the words tough decision and right decision throughout the, yeah. the bank stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, it's a good point about the, that setup for that particular decision that Chris makes is, is that, yes, you do see that driven by, all of the bullshit that she's having to deal with because she's not, not only do we see the sexism in the, her job, but then we immediately see her visit her boyfriend on her lunch break and her mom starts, or her mom, not her mom, um, her boyfriend's mom. We hear the conversation about like, Oh, it's a farm girl. And how, you know, the mom is talking shit loudly on speakerphone, which, you know, that's Clay's problem. Um, but yeah. And I can see how this, it's very understandable that she would suddenly be like, okay, this is where I have to post my barrier. And it was, you know, wrong time, wrong place, but it was really confusing um, kind of optics for that because of the depiction of the old woman. Like she was sympathetic, but also 
gross, but her grossness only um, muddled the water in that sort of in, in the depiction of that scene, because if it, she wasn't, I mean, I don't know, like, I, I feel like the movie was very indecisive about yeah, what it, they wanted to show here. That's why I say underbaked. Yeah, right. underbaked in the thing they're, with the handholds. The, the, because it's, it's a weird sort of a Sam Raimi movie because it's, it's trying to be a several different things at one time. Um, Cause it's trying to be like a silly evil dead style comedy and do those things while also like say some stuff. But every time it starts to say something. It's filtered through this weird Sam Raimi. Uh, it's like it gets cut yeah. off. It's, it's like yeah. it cuts itself off. And the evil dead stuff can't fully get through that PG 13 rating. So it's like, it's trying to be different things and it can't fully be any of them. Yeah. It, it, Raimi really likes unlikable protagonists. Uh, like, you know, Ash is an asshole. Like it's, it's no, no question. And she is sort of filling the role of Ash here, but she is also like extremely timid and, uh, you know, is a little bit worried about doing the right thing, but is much more worried about like moving up her status ladder. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the question of what the intention is is really difficult to figure out when it's going through the Sam Raimi like shaped prism of like, oh yeah, you know, this this old lady is is also you know horrible and gross um but like maybe she's gross because she's impoverished you know yeah that's, that's part of being old and, and poor is that you get kind of gross like it's difficult to maintain uh let's have some corpse teeth. humor with yeah. some gummy corpse juice <laughs> it's yeah it's just it's a mess um and we're not even into the the midst of the first act this is just like the beginning of the film well, I feel like we've uh, been covered. We've covered a fair number of beats in the film. Yeah, I think you know. Yeah, she. We've pretty much covered the her denying the woman alone, and right. then like the the old woman goes out to Sam Raimi's car because it's Sam Raimi's car that's in all of Sam Raimi's movies, um, and then that car shows back up in the garage, and the old lady is in her back seat, and there's an extended action sequence of them fighting in the car and her stapling the old lady's eyes shut and the it old lady fighting her. It goes on for a while. Yeah. It goes on too long. <laughs> and just... it is not interesting. And it is kind of upsetting because like, it's hard to, this old lady is not scary enough because we just saw her being sympathetic. And then, you know, her, her handkerchief shows up a lot. And yeah, this is, this is where the CGI handkerchief first shows up, which is, yeah. It's just rough. something this entire movie probably could have done without. It's again, this isn't a deadite, super strong demon old lady. This is just a regular ass old lady. I'm amazed Christine didn't just kill her on the spot when she shoved like, I don't know, that triangular ruler down her throat. Yeah, the fact that she survived that, I just completely forgot about that because that whole scene was just kind of difficult to watch because it felt kind of embarrassing because this like this old lady they're in a car. There's a lot of shots to try to make it look scary and like, you know, high energy and shit like that. And the real thing is that this old lady goes through all this shit and somehow dies a day later. Like, yeah. she doesn't die from any of this. We like, don't actually again, know why or how she dies. This yeah. old lady takes so much punishment. And again, this is not 
Stephen Lang and Don't Breathe, where you're just taking a look at this lady and being like, oh, yeah, no, she's Jack. She'll fucking destroy you. Like, no, she is a very feeble old lady who just takes so many blows to the face. Yeah. And I'm kind of I'm kind of with her in this case, because I'm like, wow, this badass old lady. I don't like seeing old ladies get knocked around. But the fact that she takes the staples, she takes the, the ruler and she does all this shit. She survives the car crash. Uh, the, the bit where they buckle the seatbelt right before the car. That I thought was really funny, even though I'm pretty sure they were going like only maybe 10 miles an hour. But um, uh, she takes a lot of punishment. And there's this bit where she gets her dentures knocked out. And then she starts gumming uh, Christine's face in this way that is just like overtly gross and kind of sexual. And I really hate That's- it. That's what I'm saying. If she'd had the dentures in and she like that was her move. That was plan A. Just bite her fucking face off. That's the thing is that, okay, all of this happens. And then she's knocked out of the car. And then like the big the the big like climax of this little fight is her rising out of the ground with a brick, you know, Um, and then like all this shit goes down and there's like a bunch of beats here that just don't need to be there. And then she takes fucking Christine's button and she's and everything's fine. Like suddenly dead quiet, you know, completely different mood of the scene. And she's like, blah, 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 curse and gives the button back to her. And I'm like, why did she just fucking do that? Like, it would have been a lot more interesting if this old lady came up and there was any like there was there was some sort of tension where she's coming up and then you're afraid for Christine that she's going to get like, I don't know, chewed out or whatever. And the lady's like, I'm going to curse your button. Bye and like we don't i feel like 90 percent of writers and directors that would have happened in the bank at the end of that scene yeah like where she's, yeah I, she's upset and she just you know grabs her coat and just gets a button and then curses it and you know then don't need any of this stuff in the, that's why we need very the large beautiful and twisted place. mind of sam raimi because who else could come up with extended sequence of old lady getting the shit beaten out of her I, yeah. it does it does make me wonder if there wasn't like a either a like a studio note of like we need something with action in the first act well it's such or a... sorry or if this scene is just in there because sam raimi want was just like be funny to have like an old lady and a, a younger woman fighting a car and it's... then he just did it because he's what he because he just wanted to do it my yeah. feelings watching that scene it is shoehorned in is so weird like i'm not sure totally what I'm supposed to be feeling watching that because again, it is an old lady being grievously hurt, but also the person grievously hurting this old lady is acting completely and legitimately in self-defense. So like, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't feel good or rooting for anybody in this scenario. Yeah. Everyone sucks. Everyone sucks. You know, who sucks the most though is clay who, yeah. uh, Clay, who takes her out to dinner and is already like, ah, you're acting kind of weird after you were assaulted by a crazy old lady who then cursed you. And Christine is already seeing, like, feeling weird gusts of wind in L.A. and hearing strange noises and decides she wants to go see a fortune teller. And Clay proceeds to make fun of everything regarding the fortune teller and then quote Freud and then make fun of the fortune teller for quoting Jung. Uh, the sequence just makes me hate that dude. <laughs> um, the sequence, the sequence makes me angry on a lot of levels, um, and also raises a lot of questions for me. Like the fortune teller. Okay, first of all, sixty dollars for a fortune. 
not bad for LA. Let me tell you what. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm like, Jaylon, you're not paying for the fortune. You're paying for the experience. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is a unique thing. Uh, and you know what? Like, do I would I would pay $60 to just like talk to that dude. He seemed like a well, yeah, he seemed the fact that this guy was cool with Clay coming in there and just being super shitty and he did everything anyway. That I was like, okay, points for you, dude. I, and when dude, when when Clay was like quoting Freud at him, and he was like, sure, okay, bud. Like he was down to to fucking um debate. Well, I, he handled it well, but I think he underestimated how annoying Clay would be. Because the second time, I was like, no, you stay in the fucking car this time. <laughs> yeah. No, Emily, it says uh, you said in the notes you had some issues with Ram Das and his his actions during this fortune telling. Okay, so there's a couple things. Um, I is mean, it that he tries to read her fortune and sees that an evil spirit is haunting her and is like, "Nope, I'm out. Fuck this. Yeah, Take your money back. Go home." Yeah, but then not, he's I, like, he doesn't actually give the money back. He ends. He keeps the money. Yeah, which is very weird. Like, okay, but he does offer them a refund because he's like, your spirit, here's my card. Like, well, if he was a- if he was really trying to um to scam them, he would have been like right then and there, you know, oh, you need to pay me ten thousand dollars for this thing. Like but you know, Rom, what is what do they call him? Okay, Rom, Rom Joss. Um no, he's, he's not Rom Doss. He's Rom Joss. Okay. Which is going to take me on a, a little tangent, so buckle in. It's gonna. I'm going to make it as quick as I can. Please, thank you. Ram Das, spiritual leader, Baba Ram Das. He's a guy from Boston. He went to India in the '60s, um, and uh, studied to be a guru. He was uh, named Ram Das by a, uh, the guru that he studied under in India. He is very, very uh, involved in like popularizing uh quote unquote eastern spirituality and yoga um for the baby boomer this is all on wikipedia but it's like you know baby boomer generation uh new age yoga obsession hippie movement all this kind of stuff he was in there he wrote a book called be here now george harrison named a song after it it's a thing now the fact that um oh yeah be here now apparently was a guide for becoming a yogi for those not born hindu um and uh, the fact that this character, Ram Joss, is not a white dude, I guess that's points because, I mean, I guess in 2009, that wouldn't that wouldn't fly. But all the the G-slurs fly. I don't know. But um, just Ram Dass is a, is a big name. And I'm sure that that's where they got the name from. I just thought it was interesting that they um, cast somebody that was a person of color as opposed to Ram Dass, who was not. Um so that's a lot of of history there, um, and uh, he he doesn't give her. But that's the thing; he doesn't give her any information about how she can battle the curse. He's like, "You're cursed. Here's your money back." Bye. Um, he didn't Again, give any. Doesn't actually parameters. give the money back. Yeah, I did love that. It's like, why didn't you tell me I could just give it away? He's like, "I want you to pay ten thousand dollars first. Yeah. Oh God, like that that whole thing, like. You know, Ram Joss, all the points that he had gained for putting up with Clay and his bullshit, they are negated quickly. Look, he might have been legit and he might have sincerely wanted to help, but he was making sure that whether this white lady ended up going to hell or not, he was getting paid. I mean, so I, I mean, I have a question about this next scene. 
which is uh, one of the many long haunting scenes full of doors rattling and, and gates creaking and things like that. But uh, this this woman is apparently worried about being cursed, but she is fine with like working in a fully lit house with her back to the window in the middle of the night in L.A., which just to me just says she lacks imagination. Yeah, and apparently like if the wind moves... Like if the air moves in LA, that means that there are demons. I mean, that tracks um, like I sure. like that this woman. It feels very accurate for this fucking horror movie, Karen, that she's more worried about ghosts and curses than just normal crime that just happens from being in LA. I mean, that and yeah, and ghosts and curses from non-white people <laughs> rather than. Yeah, I mean, again, this is a suitcase that I am going to recycle. Um, spooky house shit begins. Also, here is where we are in- introduced to not just a cat, not just a puppy, not just a like a normal a normal animal. It is a kitten, a really fucking cute kitten, which dies. Spoilers. We're in the spoiler not section. Not just dies, is murdered. Is murdered. By Ali- Christine, at which by point- the human it trusts. At which point I wrote down, I fucking hope you go to hell. Yeah, no, that like <laughs> she she shows mercy on Stu, but kills the kitten. Yeah. Fuck off, Christine. Even though she's a fucking Jeff, like vegetarian, she won't sacrifice animals because she's a fucking vegetarian. This is happening for two days. Fucking vegetarian. And um, like she uh she volunteers at the puppy shelter which is sounds so much like an excuse like well i take photos of beautiful trees and you know hearkening back to uh, As uh a hard, hard candy, candy reference yeah yeah hard candy like it's it's not i mean so at least in this case she leads with being a vegetarian yeah we're not at the murdering chill uh small cats yet uh she is uh, a horrible I don't know if the, the dream is the fly crawling in her mouth uh, or if that's in, that's what leads to the dream. She has a horrible dream. Um, Emily points out that the fly does in fact land on the camera, which I think is, is just uh, Raimi going, look what I can do with CGI. Look how real this thing is. Um, yeah. And then, you know, has a series of horrible dreams uh, where the old lady is in bed with her and throws up on her and all kinds of fun stuff. Also, her bruise on her lip from being hit, I guess, by the demon keeps, like, disappearing and coming back, which is, but, you know. Yeah. Um, And then we have uh, her going back to work the next morning, and Stu is asking her to train her, train him in stuff while simultaneously trying to take the job Uh, she wants. Did we talk about Stu and his fucking lunch order when I just wanted to? God. The fact that uh, Stu does not get his demon face comeuppance in this movie. (laughs) But he cries. Yeah, he gets no comeuppance at all. He, no. He's he's the only character crying. who is ultimately forgiven, kind of. Yeah, yeah. the crying, uh, as we learn, is just another like sociopathic defense mechanism as he then immediately turns back, like went from his crying and runs to the amazing Jim, Mr. Jim Jacks, played by uh, character actor extraordinaire David Paymer, who's just fucking great in everything he's in. Uh, he turns around. So those them's crocodile tears. Fucks do. Yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah. I assume he doesn't get the promotion either because Jax does find out. Oh, he, he did. he's we're we're told at the end that he does yeah. not. He's like, he's yeah. yeah. 
imagine having to compete for a promotion with the person you are still actively training. I hate that. It, in no way does that sound unrealistic. Right. Mm. Yeah. That, that is the realest part of this movie to me is everything around the bank just feels like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. The way that at every turn she is rewarded for good behavior, for terrible behavior in, in the workplace. I mean, okay. Mostly just the one bad thing that she's then rewarded. She's not quite rewarded for shooting blood everywhere out of her nose, which I mean, I mean if she, her her blood pressure is that high i would be going to the doctor oh, man. when she's in the dinner scene the dinner party scene and she says like i'm up for a, i'm up for a big promotion at work i'm like uh that promotion went away about the time you blood gushered all over the boss yeah i also i guess kudos to this bank that's very committed to promoting from within instead of just hiring someone off of linkedin I guess that's what they're going to end up having to do because one of their clients uh, turned out to have stolen stuff from them and the other one is in hell. Yeah. So Justin, so Clay is definitely going to spend the rest of his life in jail being unable to explain the disappearance of his girlfriend, right? Right. Well, especially since she uh, disappeared while on the train tracks. Uh, so. Yeah, I don't... I don't know. Presumably somebody else saw her fall onto the train tracks, although that does not seem to be the case. Nobody helps either of them. Um, yeah, but... he's not minding the gap, for sure. I mean, I was pretty surprised that they actually found a practical location to do a train in Los Angeles. I thought for sure that was going to have to be CGI and green screen, that whole location. They're, they're making progress there, I guess. Or they have been since 2009. Or maybe they haven't been since 2009. I don't know. Probably the latter. Ah, uh, L.A. train jokes. I'm slamming you for your lack of good public transportation infrastructure, L.A. Yeah, like L.A. <laughs> L.A. Fucking subway. Overgrown county. Where was it that I saw an L.A. subway that was like? What? I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I yeah, is, so she runs. She runs bleeding from the uh, office to go see the old woman's family because I get or to go see the old woman. She wants her to take the curse off. She goes to. This is a little confusing. She goes to this house, which I'm not sure is supposed to be the late the old lady's house, which like was currently being repossessed when the lady was in the office. Like they were moving her stuff out of it, or if this is supposed to be the daughter's house that she refers to. Um, but either way, it's a very old, spooky house in the middle of L.A. Um, that is full of this family we talked about. There's a, a lot of people in there, you know, eating and playing games. And Christine promptly trips and lands on the old woman's dead body. And has a, a horrible um, time as she spits and like as the old lady just drains embalming fluid out of her mouth onto Christine into her mouth and face. So gross. Um, Which again, is not how that works. But I um, don't I can't think there's any purpose there other than Sam Raimi being like, ha, old people and dead bodies. It's gross and funny. I mean, he does this recurring gag where like every time she ends up dealing with this old woman, whether she's alive or dead or. Uh, in a dream, the old lady pulls out a chunk of her hair. Her that I'm surprised that she has any hair left by the end of this film. Like she, the old lady is constantly pulling her hair out because at first, when the old lady showed up in the car, when Mrs. Ganoush, I should say, shows shows up in her car, I thought it was going to be like a total hallucination, but it was very real, and that's where I was like already going, okay, no. But um, so anyway, this this particular this wake going on 
kind of slaps if it wasn't for everyone being a stereotype. Like that's the thing we were talking about before about, yeah, like these, you know, the, these, these gatherings, wakes and weddings and things like that, especially um, not just with, with the uh, Roma people, but certainly with Hungarian people and, and people from Eastern Europe. Yeah. There's, there's going to be a party. Um, the fact that they're basically like, you know, doing like super stereotypical Roma things um, and just all being stereotypes is the, the issue I had with it. Like they didn't have to, they didn't have to be like, let's throw dice in the middle of, you know, they could just be like, Hey, let's, you know, I mean, if it, it would have saved it, if it was just like Gogol Bordello playing, like if the, if it was just them, I would have been like, okay. <laughs> I mean, at least they're there. Um, but you know, that's also like, I don't think that they would give this movie uh, a chance, but um, yeah, but now she's super freaked out that she can't beg the old lady's forgiveness. So she has to go talk to Ram Joss again about what to do about this. Uh, and he lends her a very nicely pressed, uh, what looks like a textbook on animal sacrifices um, to get demons to spare you. Uh, she doesn't want to do it because she's a vegetarian, as you mentioned. Um, but then the uh, Lamia comes back and uh, fucks up her shit again, and she is immediately on board with murdering a kitten. Yeah, I think this is a, a very important thing to note about Christine. Uh, Christine has morality up until the exact moment where she is inconvenienced. When yeah. the Joker yeah. Dark Knight is giving his speech about how people are only as good as the world allows them to be, he's talking about Christine specifically. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Christine she, absolutely would have blown up that boat full of convicts. I, I, yes, like you were five, min- five minutes and she would have blown up the boat. <laughs> he would still be giving the right details right of the thing by the time she blew it up. Just... I, I, I don't know that I want to ascribe, you know, uh, this much meaning and insight into it but as i was talking about earlier charitable readings Mm -hmm. i do think that there is a reading to be made of this where uh, you know with christine being a banker and the the time when this was made Mm -hmm. uh of of you know trying to make some kind of an illustration about people love to talk about all their good they're all the good they're gonna do until anything threatens them or inconveniences them. And then they will toss anyone or anything right under the bus to save or train as art. God. Or train as <laughs> By far, the most chilling scene in the whole movie is when they go to meet Clay's parents and Clay's talking about like, oh yeah, we have a cat. And Chris is like, mm, do we though? Yeah, we that actually have a cat. Her response and her look, like she almost looked like she was like, ah, you know, like relishing the fact that she killed this kitten. You can never be sure if they have. I want to be like Clay. Run, run. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So, um, I mean, they have a cat here. I would be so freaked out if like a romantic partner started talking about like a pet we adopted together that way like i would be losing my goddamn mind this is another scene where like their cats like the parents also have a cat whose name is hecuba and i was like that's a very specific name to put in the middle of this 
Yes. Also, these parents are way too waspy to have come up with that name. Like, I'm calling bullshit. I'm calling bullshit on a lot of these things. I mean, yes, these parents are the worst, certainly. But and isn't um, the dad is the dad some sort of like classics professor or something like that? Is that I don't I forget probably what his deal is. dad's I, definitely doing some Wall Street shit. He hates <laughs> the cat, which I'm like, well, why do you have a fucking cat if you hate the cat? But okay, you know, like maybe like and he's you know complaining about it to the the girl that they first meet. I don't anyway. I mean, clearly the he worst. hates his wife as well, which I mean, who can blame him? Uh, yeah, she's well, awful. I mean, she is uh she's a bit of a harp, but. One of the things about this woman that I'm really surprised is that she's like, when <laughs> she's an LA, like a rich LA woman, and she's not wrapped by the idea of these eggs being like extra rich for this cake and the goose eggs. Like, I don't know, every LA, rich LA woman I've ever heard of is like, I'm going to make sure it's organic as fuck and go to Whole Foods. Like, but you know, no, no, no. she's, she's this 10 is, years too old for that. This, still... this is, yeah, this is before farm to table. This is uh old money. <laughs> we only, really old money. Yeah, I guess we only uh, buy at the. Uh, they can trace their money back to the steel mills, the highest end grocery stores. Yeah. 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 They send a servant to go shopping for them. That's true. Yeah. They do have, um, they don't believe do. in the internet or bars. Yeah. And also, okay, during this dinner scene um, where Chris checks out, she's like, she starts seeing shit and the, her cake comes alive and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, she thinks she saved herself by murdering a cat. It turns out she's wrong. Yeah. The cat in this house, by the way, Hecuba. Hecuba is the best. The most, Hecuba knows what's up. Hecuba yeah. knows what's up. Clay doesn't he- know. Hecuba knows that this woman has murdered a cat. Yeah, no, Hecuba he- don't want nothing to do with Chris. Good on you, Hecuba. Best character in this house, maybe in the movie, but um, it's a very, very shitty race bog. to win. Yeah, yeah. most yeah. most of the people in this movie really suck. Yeah. So, but yeah, so she's checking out, and then she, we hear Clay says, "Mom, it's not a clan rally; it's just a bar." Where the fuck did that come from that's where they met they met in a bar and his mom is like that's such a his mom thinks that's such a low-class place to meet you know like the internet um i took that as some of the just like anti deep south sentiment where it's like oh any social gathering in the deep south must be a clan gathering it's just such a stretch definitely wants to introduce him to a girl whose parents they know from the club like i yeah that they could play tennis with Emily, I, I got to say, having grown up on the Connecticut Gold Coast uh, and heard old, rich Connecticut people talk, it's not it might be a stretch, but it's not unbelievable. OK, I mean, people here suck. Well, I'm just saying, like with with uh, in L.A., like this L.A. family, that's why for a while I was confused that they were still in L.A. I'm like, I think I think they're still in L.A. because we saw the buildings and the cars and stuff. Before we were in Pasadena, but then when we moved forward in time, we didn't get any sort of card or anything showing us what where what or where we were. And for a long time, especially like once we got these there, are so waspy that they just wherever they happen to be living, they just morph it into suburban Rhode Island. <laughs> that I mean, that makes sense. And um, that now has an explanation because 
the fact that the clan was brought up at all was just mystifying to me. I get like having heard the having heard rich Connecticut people disparage other regions. I'm like, yeah, this check this checks out. Yeah, um, I mean, but it's just it is, like weirdly specific. Can be a very judgmental place, especially in a movie full of racial stereotypes. Yes, which I guess I'm saying is. You know, all stereotypes are bad, except for the wasp stereotypes. Fucking nailed them. All of those are true. <laughs> I guess that's a bad message I should be sending. So from the bottom, sincerely and truly, I'm sorry, white people. I'm not I was, sorry for white people. I was I'm... doing a stereotype. And... Oh, oh, sorry. I'm a little detached because like um, I'm still mad about the kitten. Um, oh, I thought you were thinking about the uh, wily coyote scene that's coming up here. Oh, I was where, too. Where we have more more cursed nightmares, um, and for some reason, Christine has a has an anvil suspended in her garage that she can drop on this old lady when she attacks her, um, which is just like it's the weirdest combination of things. It's like a, a weird nightmare to begin with, but then she's like, I know how to solve this. I'll cut down this anvil that's hanging over her. And then that like falls and squishes her head and her eyeballs shoot out. And <laughs> no, this is where it the Sam Randy of this dream. movie really Yeah, the, 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 this for me. randomly cartoony scene, like over the top, more over the top than anything we've seen so far. A fucking anvil on a rope with a pulley. It, I love this scene if the whole movie had had this kind of energy, at, especially if it was a movie where that kind of thing was happening and I'm not questioning, why is there just a random anvil hanging from the ceiling on a pulley? Uh, but given that there's really nothing else quite like it, it just ends up being this really weird out of place scene. Yeah. Yeah. I Even mean, I, I yeah. maybe we could, you know, Christine, she comes from a, a state somewhere rural area not a lot of education looney tunes was the only the only way to learn about any kind of culture her mother is actually bugs bunny in a dress like that's why she's why she's so alcoholic and her her dad was elmer fudd that's this whole this whole thing makes sense now um that yeah that would explain why she always says she's like they're like hey yeah, that that one little tick. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's why she doesn't want to talk about her parents. Yeah, her dad before she died, she's like, he was like, Darwin, <laughs> make sure that you always have an Advil just in case. That's <gasps> why she. That's why she flips out so hard on the old lady when she calls her Doc. <laughs> <laughs> never, never call her Doc. <laughs> That that scene would have brought everything together. I'm really sad that they cut it. Yeah. Because <laughs> that would have made this movie seem a lot more, I don't know. It would just have been the missing link. Um, and this movie would be titled Dwag Me to Hell. Dwag Me to Hell. Oh, That's all, folks. Uh, yeah, Is so, Elmer Fudd the Justin Long character? Uh, I think the Justin Long character is Porky Pig. Well, actually, no. We've already, it's already been established that Christine is. Now, I want to say it's Daffy. Daffy Duck is Clay. Clay's Daffy yeah, Duck. Clay's got a Daffy Duck energy. Um, yeah. d- 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 Daffy Duck is often incredulous. I feel like Daffy <laughs> yeah. is the character that, like, characters are getting dragged down to hell, and he's like, Look, I found my quota. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, he's he's a he's a real shithead until he has to do until he has to seem genuine at the end. Which we're actually to the point where he has to seem genuine because uh, Ra- she goes to talk to Rom again, and uh, he's like, "Well, you know, I know one other person that might be able to help you, but she's not cheap. It's going to be ten thousand uh, dollars up front." Which apparently, like we we then will meet her shortly afterwards, and it's the same woman from the beginning who we find out has been waiting her whole life to face off with the Lamia again. So I don't know where that ten thousand dollars is going. No, um, are you kidding me? Rom Joss is clearly pocketing all of it. That's all, well, I can all of it. If if we're gonna be like you know looking at be, you know being charitable to this film, <laughs> looking at sympathetic uh, readings, I will say taking care of a demon does cost a lot of collateral damage in terms of like all of your old ass like paintings and your chairs and shit. So that's probably just the insurance. Look, I'm going to assume it was 40. It was, let's say, $30 for the Uber to get everyone to the creepy house. She drove herself there. OK, so 40. OK, so forget we don't even need the Uber. Ride. However much they had to spend for the goat. I don't know. What's yeah. the average cost of a goat? Alexa, how much does a goat cost? Now, there's the goat. There's eventually the funeral. Um, and then I guess, you know, pain and suffering for poor Milos here. Poor Milos. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, Justice. so she she's supposed to get ten thousand dollars. She sells everything she owns and only comes up with about three thousand. But of course, uh, she has a rich boyfriend who just shows up with the ten thousand, even though she's he's been making fun of everything about this the whole time. Is like, and he waited really until after she you. sold all her stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The pawn <laughs> yeah. shop that weirdly had like for whatever reason that I don't know what that was from in the background, but Lucille Ball having a fight in like some weird rest Western saloon in this old movie that just featured like it was the the shot was set up so this this was like the main focus of the shot and i'm like is this am, am i supposed to be getting something from this and all i can assume is that they've just cut the line at the end of the scene where where clay is like oh so you can just give me the three thousand i already paid him <laughs> yeah you, you just give me the three thousand for selling all of your stuff i i paid him the ten thousand already i just really want to i just really want to protect you no matter what um, even though I've been making fun of uh, all the shit you're going through the entire movie, uh, I do really love you. Yeah. Um, so and then, like, okay. yeah, I, I just wanted to mention the fact that, like, you know, she goes in and she's like telling Ram Jaws, like, I killed the cat and everything, and I'm like, he never asked you to kill your kitten. He was like, I don't know, a chicken. I mean, she could have gone to like the market and been like, or she would, you know, she lived on a farm. I, yeah, again. The, later they're able to get a goat on short notice she's got a supplier for that i assume sean sandino yeah. has got it hooked up you know like christine spends zero time coming up with any alternatives to i'm gonna murder my pet cat yeah like she doesn't ask for a second opinion i mean she has this card she could have been like you know anyway she Dude, doesn't even i'm gonna go to a shelter to- and get a new animal that I haven't formed an emotional attachment to and kill that. Uh, yeah, it was just, it's, it's dumb. At least the cat body was CGI and obviously a puppet. Like I was expecting this movie to go whole hog on. Like, I was like, no, no, no. But then they, you know, they did at least give us a discretion shot for the kitten. That's definitely the point where I'm like, fucking go, go get, get dragged to hell. You yeah. murderer. Yeah. That's where I'm like, bitch is dead to me. Like you're going to hell now, regardless for like, 
Yeah, so let's I talk about they, it. I hope they don't let the kitten murderers into heaven. If I got into heaven, <laughs> I'd be like, really? This is real? And then my next I'd be like, kitten stabbing Steve. They let you in here? What the fuck? Yeah, I'd be like, I'm going to the other place. At least they have barbecue. Uh, the barbecue God, um, is you. So, so uh, John Tendina is back right. in the movie. Uh, from you know from the opening she's old now um and she this is the most sam raimi scene of the whole thing i think because they're gonna pull out this demon and and talk to it um so we've got rom we've got uh chris and we've got sean and we've got sean sidekick milos um who Who is part of it (laughs) he's he is there as well he keeps calling her auntie which i'm not sure if it's like a like auntie is in she's actually his aunt or auntie is in like she's an old lady that teaches him stuff um yeah but sean, sean sandima's <laughs> house there. yeah her house by the way is so much more fucking awesome big and badass than like clay's parents house like for real i you know if if chris wanted to climb the social ladder i would just like go to sean sandima and hang out with her because yeah, obviously like half castle half temple yeah I'd be like, pay me. I'll dust your pillars just so I can hang out in this dope ass house. (laughs) And then um, this is still the same house that the fucking gate to hell opened up in. And Sean Sandima still lives there. So that's like a fucking power move, I think. Like staying in the house, like a poltergeist. Well, that house got swallowed by the the void or whatever. But like staying in the house where the fucking hell gate opened up i'd be like that's just that's badass hats off to our lady sean yeah uh they do manage to channel the demon and they're supposed to put it in a goat and then milos is supposed to cut the goat's head off milos fails uh cuts the rope of the goat and then gets bitten and gets possessed by the demon himself but before that i do want to talk about this fucking goat puppet because it's the best thing in the movie yes i love the i love the talking goat guys what's Uh, better goat this goat or black philip oh this one black philip i I love this one bear in mind this goat did not actually gore or hospitalize any of the actors i i this is such a difficult comparison (laughs) yeah i I don't think it's a fair comparison because this goat is like super sweet this, this this super sweet friendly goat suddenly like gets fucked up it looks like the lamb from the ghent altarpiece which is like an art history joke sorry but the uh, it's just so like uncanny and also talking goats are the best but this goat is definitely the best part of this movie uh so yeah so milos gets bitten by the goat and then milos gets incredibly sam raimi for a few minutes here and he's uh taunting her and dancing over the flaming table um as as the demon and uh Spits out her dead cat, um, telling her that he doesn't want Didn't her like fucking that. cat. He wants her soul. <laughs> I didn't like that either. Uh, so happy <laughs> that the cute kitten died for nothing. Fucking take Christine's soul. Take yeah. it. It's, it's a garbage soul. Well, it's funny because, like, well, I'm sure he doesn't want that so much either. Because there's this bit where Lamia possesses uh, Sean Sandima, and uh rob joss is like because she's like fuck you chris and chris is like no it was my boss and then rob joss is like shut up shut up chris hey lamia you don't want chris she's shitty you want somebody better and i'm like damn like even they're yeah. thanked by the demon yeah it's it's great when he's just like 
He's like, the thing about your boss, that's not going to fly. She's worthless. She's not worth your time. What do you, what do you, like, why even bothering? That being (laughs) Rob Joss's whole uh, approach is, I think that's priceless. Fucking hilarious. (laughs) I love it. I definitely am like, is Ram Joss trying to neg this demon like on Christine's behalf? <laughs> Ram Joss has charged Christine 10,000 bucks to save mean shit about her. Yeah, to a demon from hell. <laughs> Guys, is Ram Joss the hero of the movie? I kind of like he, he got gives to be mean to white people, get paid and walked away completely unharmed. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, like the fact I wish I mean the cat shouldn't have died, but the the fact that he was just fucking I mean it's it's not his fault either because he was like a chicken, you know, something that you might eat and use all of. Yeah, at no point did he at no point during the suggestion of animal sacrifice did yeah, kill your fucking beloved kitty. He yeah. gave option. Go to a carnival and get a goldfish. Killed Justin definitely. Long. I'm... Yeah, killed Justin Long. You almost did anyway. But like, yeah, um, I kind of like the idea of this being this sort of him whistling away. Just like, this bitch is the worst. Yeah, I, 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 it does reveal, that moment does kind of reveal a th- maybe that Ram Joss is not just a character of color who is only there to serve and help a white character but who is who has an, a, an unspoken agenda where he is just pocketing ten thousand dollars and <laughs> yeah. you know maybe trying to help her but like he's gonna get something on the way yeah like if her soul stays out of hell that is incidental to rob Joss achieving <laughs> his goals her money's sure not going to hell with her so like i wish we follow him and just be like i'm buying a playstation yeah <laughs> He, I, I, yeah, he is kind of my favorite character right next to like him and Hecuba. No, him, Hecuba, and the goat. Um, although there would be some like fucked up exoticism there, maybe, but like, I don't know, him. That's um, in the plot was like how in bad hair it turned out that James Vanderbeek and Laverne Cox were somehow in inexplicably in cahoots behind everything is if you get to the end and it's like she gets dragged to hell and then like off in the distance is just like it's just Ram Joss and the go they fucking high five like we did it again <laughs> yeah I yeah I don't know I'm, I'm I'm thinking like this whole this whole bit with like the the possess with possessed Milos and everything it's like I would have liked this movie so much more if like the demon had been operating at this level the whole movie if Lamy was just much shittier and much less into banging doors um yeah well again that's my problem with the villain of this is that like even at its absolute best it still just feels like a deadite working at 70 percent yeah Yeah, um this dancing scene feels very much like when the deadite busts out of the uh, the basement and starts dancing and yeah, going, it's dead by it's, dawn, dead by dawn. It's extremely Evil Dead too. Yeah, know? but Jane, it's, it's if I'm, it's so, it's such a terrible high bar for any movie to try to have to clear. If I'm primarily comparing it to Evil Dead Two, aka one of my absolute favorite movies of all time of any genre. Yeah, yeah, I fucking 
love Evil Dead 2, which, again, if I'm comparing any movie to Evil Dead 2, mm, that movie's kind of fucked. Yeah, no, I, I get you. It's like com- comparing this goat to Black Phillip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, Sean... Which, by the way, Jeremy, I hope you saw that Black Phillip's voice actor liked your tweet on... Oh, I got saw. Sexy oh yeah, no, that's why I started like sending you guys shit. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the devil liked my tweet. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so Sean manages to cast out, cast the demon out of Milos before dying. Um, I'm trying to figure out if the devil liked my tweet is the name of a horror movie <laughs> or an NBC sitcom. Oh, the devil liked yes. my tweet. Well, that's true. It it could be one either or. Yeah, it could really go either way. But it is definitely the title of something, and uh, get get Universal on the phone either way. It's uh, the sequel to <laughs> Devil Is a Part Timer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so Sean manages to get the the demon away, but uh, Ram Dass is there to perform bad CPR and not not save her. He just beats on her chest a bit. Doesn't ever like, do the breathing part of CPR. Well, um, I guess she's dead now. A- this is a guy who suddenly realized he does not have to split the 10K anymore. Yeah. <laughs> also, I want to I want to briefly mention like the 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 fact that um, the way it's not the fact it's the way that Sean Sandima and Milos kind of break into Spanish just like reeks of exoticism and it just feels it it feels exploitative of these characters like. Uh, you know, are like, you telling me that this movie relied on stereotype and ethnic exploitation? Gasp! What bothers me about Sean Sandima is she goes back and forth between Spanish and English. At times, it don't really make sense. Like yeah, she's not that's using why... very complicated words to like. If you know, she was using like I don't know place names, proper nouns, like trying to figure out how to say something very specific, but didn't translate great between the two languages. It would make sense to me, but like she just cuts off in the middle of one sentence and starts speaking Spanish to Rom and then just continues in Spanish for a while from there until we need to know what she's saying for the plot. And then she goes yeah. back to English. Yeah, which is why it, it, it just feels reductive. And uh, yeah, I don't think uh, the Ramey's got any better at that uh, <laughs> over time, because in uh, Ash versus Evil Dead, they have the whole subplot with the bruja. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember um, that. Yeah, that that, <laughs> that was... feels in a similar vein. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's where I was like, oh no, I, you know, at least in Ash versus Evil Dead, it wasn't. At least that wasn't this movie, but still. <laughs> Although nothing, nothing pisses me off more when I'm watching a movie streaming than when the people doing the captions can put the words to songs that are in the movie in the background but then when somebody says something in a foreign language it's just bracketed speaks spanish like oh well i sometimes they don't even bother to identify the language i've i've yeah. seen just speaks foreign language uh which yeah boy yeah, it's, <laughs> Thanks, it's so guys. lazy if like beyond beyond the racism it's just lazy like your, your whole job is to like type up the shit that people are saying in the movie so that people that can't hear can hear it. And you're like, oh, they're not going to be able to understand that. It's Spanish. Like, what the fuck? Bad um, movie. Bad. 
bad movie. <laughs> I mean, it's not even the movie though. I, it's like the services well, that do these things because it's consistent across like TV and movies and everything where it's just like, if it makes yeah. you feel any better, I guarantee you the person doing it is probably not get paid for it. Okay. You know, I, so the, my, my bad movie and my slapping of the movie was not to do with that. It was to do with all of these other crimes. So I'm going to just make that clear right now. Um, Cause I remember, because I worked in the one time I had to work in entertainment uh, and was an unpaid intern. They made us do a shitload of the of the transcribing and like I'm so sorry. stuff they have for subtitles. So my guess is that work is done I'm by sure that job was real well, fun to transcribe for. Too. Yeah. Who's ever doing this is probably barely getting paid, if at all. How do you spell Baba Booing? Uh, <laughs> well, you have to remember that Ba is a letter. Gotcha. Gotcha. So right. it's like three bars. However many bars you think you need, add one more bar. It's a, there's a silent bar in the middle. <laughs> gotcha. I didn't know that. The more you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, Ram Joss is like, ah, man, too bad Sean Sandimas died. Oh, no, she didn't actually get the demon to go away. She just got him out of Milos. He's still going to kill you tomorrow. Uh, you should do something about that. Oh, um, I love also- that. I love how Catherine was like, wow, what? What poignancy. She waited 40 years and then got to face her foe on the last day. And and Rogers was like, no, you stupid white girl. That demon fucking killed her. Yeah. Yeah. The the goat did like the whole idea was to kill the goat. And we didn't do that. (laughs) You're still completely fucked. Well, I love the whole like, well, after this whole thing. Well, the the Lamia cannot just be simply banished by a medium. (laughs) He's like, that's what we learned today. We learned that you're safe. We learned that you're super fucked, actually. Yeah. But for fifteen, that's right. He's like, this is our lesson. We can get the super medium who can totally banish Lahamia. Yeah. Sorry that didn't work. Ten thousand dollars. Oh well. Yeah, and I love that he's like, he's like, all right. Now that that didn't work, here's what you could do. You could just give it away as a gift and get somebody else's soul taken because um, I don't know. I, I'm not going to I'm not going to like I was wondering that the entire movie. Yeah. Like yeah, that's what they very poignantly say the owner of the button uh, several times early on. And it's like, oh, well, just give it to somebody else, I guess. Right. Um, At least Chris does ask, like, why didn't you tell me that before? He's after like, all this other shit i i like, like i, I like wanted your money like, well actually it's like yeah it's like i needed ten thousand dollars first and i don't trust you crazy white lady with the power of death yes yeah i didn't want to party to you i didn't want to be a party to you just giving this button away to somebody um uh, so yeah. he's like here's what you have to do you got to take this button and present it as a present to somebody else let me put it in this inconspicuous white envelope um for you and then she proceeds to lose the white envelope on the way home when an old man uh, yells at them in the road. Um, the last time we see Raja, like Ram Jaws in this movie, is after she comes up with the idea of giving it the curse to a dead person. And he's like, well, I consulted my demon law books and it's crazy, but it just might be crazy enough to work. <laughs> yeah. like, I looked at the rule book and there's no rule against it. So. But yeah. I, I don't remember if this is before or after losing it in the car in the 
the car thing was telegraphed before this. Yeah. 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 I, yeah I, I, but the I, car and then she goes to the diner, I believe. Yeah. But it's there's a scene somewhere between Ram Joss telling her she can give the button away and her going to the diner where she takes the button in an envelope to like the park and she just sits down and looks around at people as if she's just going to give it to a stranger. I, I thought it was just in the diner, but I mean, there probably was there. I probably oh, was th- yeah, I guess about it, it. I guess it is the diner where she's looking around at people. I th- thought the diner is where she just met up with uh, her with coworker with Stu. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think, think it is in the diner, to- but there's the, there's whatever, wherever it is, she is that, that moment where she's just looking around at like, what stranger might I be able to give this button to? Yeah, and, <laughs> and also, it's, it's okay, like so, nice old couples and children. And <laughs> so she this, like, if this movie came out this year, this woman would absolutely try to give that thing to the server. <laughs> like, this, yeah, this Karen who is upset because the woman, because the server is like, hey, are you just going to sit at my table and drink coffee all night? Because you're not going to tip me. So like, what the fuck? Yeah. She would have and, been like, I'll give you a tip and just, you know, giving her the fucking button and then I mean oh, she yeah, just that, I'll give you a tip you you'll never forget what the fuck Chris like what the fuck is wrong with you I mean a lot of things but and she's in a bad place at the moment she's, sure she's mere hours away from her soul being ripped out of her body well I guess with her body and sent to hell which is okay, okay. The, what, that's the a... actual moment of getting dragged into hell like at the end the thing that really makes that work for me is just the visual of when we see her head start to just become skull and her eyes are still there. Yeah, when she turns into Ghost Rider for a minute. Uh, yeah, like that that yeah. The, the look doesn't work for her. Visual that sticks with me. I was like, oh. the, I I will maintain forever that the moment of her being dragged to hell is actually perfect. Uh, oh, yeah. but, the, but the movie leading up to it is it's a, oh, it's yeah. a great <laughs> note for it to end on. Like it's such a satisfying. It's a very like satisfying horror ending and i again, honestly think really that last well. scene is perfect agreed i mean th- th- thematically yes um i do want to mention though like i really after all of this like dehumanizing of the old lady and everything this old man yells at chris maybe this has something you know some sort of parallel with the cat yelling at her too because not only has she been shitty to to the elderly but she's also been shitty to cats yeah 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 so um but this you know they almost hit this old man in the road and he starts telling her that she's going to hell she's not driving the car why the fuck is he well anyway and that's, that's just, just yeah i guess he just knows that she's an asshole but i mean they're they both they both fit the profile but um, uh, i i will say that uh that moment i have i also uh had an old man when i lived in chicago my wife and I were walking into our building. Uh, This moment really spoke to me. (laughs) My wife and I were walking into our building and an old man just walked by on the street and, and yelled at us that we, uh, well, he didn't say we were going to hell, but he, he said something very similar about like how he thought we were living uh, a sinful lifestyle. With no indication of why we would be doing that. We were just walking into a building. Have you considered that 
it's because you're leading a sinful lifestyle. I mean, aren't we all? I mean, yes. Maybe he has Sinovision. But that's the thing. <laughs> oh, God. I, <laughs> um, like, like any, uh, any whatchamacallit, person? Bruce Willis in Unbreakable yeah. from the movie Unbreakable. <laughs> okay. His, his superhero name is Unbreakable, right? Like, he doesn't have an actual superhero name in that. I, I'm pretty sure his superhero name, Bruce Willis' superhero name would be and starring Bruno. Bruce Willis for a day. <laughs> I, never, I never saw Glass, so I can't say. Yeah, but yeah, I don't think anybody did. It was yeah. almost a kind of good movie, and then it had a really stupid ending. So an M. Night Shyamalan movie, then. Yeah, I mean, yes. Sure. Uh, a twist on that, another twist that a very mundane YouTube video is going to change the world. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, people who don't understand how YouTube works should not put it as a plot point in their movie. Yes. Um, so this old man, I just will say, you know, that's a valid point about, you know, some old men do yell at people and that's, that's fine. But it, in college for me. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, often at clouds, they're well um, known to yell at clouds. Professors yell at you as, as, you know, and they have tenure. They're basically insured to yell at you. But the, um, the, if this guy was isolated in this film, that wouldn't have been great. But the fact that it is like sandwiched between you know, old Roma lady. And then this horrible scene where this woman, she lands in this diner. She tries to decide who she's going to pass this curse off to. And she, she thinks maybe the old man with the oxygen tank. Yeah. yeah but decides and, not to because somebody loves him, which is more than we can say for Christine, I guess. Right. And like, that's another thing is that she, she's not just killing this person who is going to receive this curse. She knows what happens when this curse is passed on to somebody. Like, there's a fucking poltergeist that kicks the shit out of you and then tears your soul apart. These are the words. The defining terms are tearing your soul apart, presumably to hell. Yeah, this is worse than if she gives someone a button, that person will die. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's trying to figure out who to give it to and finally lands on the obvious answer, which is Stu. She calls yes. Stu and is oh, like, yes. hey, Stu, come here uh, or I'll tell everybody about the shit you've been up to. And then Stu shows up and cries. So she decides, well, this man is crying. So the fact that he's been awful and sucks is, I don't know. That's seems... what did the kitten who was never awful or sexist? Did the kitten not cry enough for you? Christine? Yeah, the kitten it, well, was crying the whole fucking fucking time. Well, and, and, and Stu you know, p- proves himself quite the cad because he goes and tries to shake down uh, David Paymer right after that. Yeah. Should have given him the goddamn button. So disappointed in you, Chris. Yeah. Um, yeah but she so- doesn't say that she won't tell anybody about it. That's the thing is Stu's like, oh, don't tell my dad. <laughs> and then she's like, uh-huh, leave, 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 leave. And he's like, don't tell. You promised not to tell. She's like, leave. So there's that. That may be like, who's your dad? Is that going to be like a surprise cameo? Yeah, I would be like, yeah, wait, wait, well, I hold on. Man, I hope there's some sort like, of introduction to Stu's dad after that. Like Tokyo Drift gave us a Sunny Chiba cameo. Like, are we going to get that level of cameo? Because that'd be great. I mean, Sunny Chiba's his dad. Fucking know. Sunny Chiba's back. <laughs> yes, more Sunny Chiba cameos. His dad was Ted Remy. <laughs> cool, cool guy, Ted Remy. Ted Remy. Yeah, so she, she sees. She sees in the paper the obituary for the woman and has a great idea. 
She's like, let me go talk to Rom and see if maybe I can give this as a gift to the old dead lady. And that's, Rom's that's like, that's a leap. Rom again consults his textbook and is like, there's no rules against it. <laughs> so it's a, so it's it's a real air baseball. <laughs> baseball. It's a real air bud, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My notes uh, for this bit were I think I was having some sort of breakdown because I was saying, what is she even saying here? Like, how does she even come to this conclusion? Also, this hanky shit, goddamn. Ron Josh <laughs> is she, the, she Ron, gets attacked by the hanky again. Ron Josh is the Jeff Winger of demon lawyers. <laughs> That's legit. Uh <clears throat> Yeah, so she she gets attacked by the old lady's handkerchief uh, as she's driving um, in in a, another very Sam Raimi scene. Um, it's funny. I feel like this scene works for me whenever the hanky is not CGI. Like when she's pulling it off of her face, it feels yeah. very yeah. Ted Raimi in a way that works for me. Um, but then she proceeds to go dig up the old lady's grave, abuse her a bit more, stuff the button down her throat, uh, get some more of her hair pulled out. Um, and, and just like all of the mercy that she's shown uh, Stu and all of the random people in the diner, she just really wants to fuck up this old lady one more time. Yes. She digs as well as a Winchester, though. Damn. In I, a I, rainstorm. I do have to ask, especially with just how mean she is at the end. Does Chris have a character arc? Like, is she actually different at the end of the movie than she is at the beginning? I, I don't know that she has an arc where she changes. I think she, more than anything, she is revealed. Yeah. Throughout yeah. the movie. Ooh, I, I like that. Where, Ooh, where she, yeah. She, again, it's she has the this like mask of being a person with morals and values and who cares about other people and will turn on that and go against that and cause any any amount of pain and harm to anyone else she can to to help and save herself it's Absolutely. less of an arc and more of a drop off yeah yeah and and of course no horror movie set in los angeles would be complete without a freak flash flood thunderstorm which is what happens if she's here like every every movie that we've watched is set in los angeles there's a thunderstorm which man and this uh, graveyard whatever. this Have graveyard we- is like the a miniature made by Alec Baldwin in Beetlejuice. <laughs> like it is barely a real, like this is not even Tim Burton. This is like cartoon Tim Burton. I do appreciate her getting out of the grave and then getting whomped in the forehead by a giant cross and <laughs> nearly, nearly drowned again. Um, I feel like at the point that uh, you're in a graveyard and a giant cross hits you in the head, it should be it's some kind of sign that you're not meant to survive. <laughs> Yeah. It's it's there are many moments in this movie that are uh that do the uh I've met writers who use uh symbolism in their all cowards moments. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we don't we don't we don't truck with subtext around here. Yeah, it it's it's there are multiple moments where you're like, oh, this is going to be a metaphor. And then Sam Raimi tells you, no. What's it's a not metaphor? a metaphor. Yeah, this is not a metaphor. Th- th- I'm just doing this. <laughs> and uh, the ending, I think, is the best example of that when we get to there's that. No meta. There's no meta. It's just four. Yeah, it's just yeah. four. <laughs> yeah, she, she climbs out of the grave. No, totally free now that she's shoved this uh, thing down this dead woman's gullet. 
She takes a shower and heads out to meet Clay at the train station as they're going off to uh, a cottage in the woods. Um, we, we see that Clay is going to propose to her. He's got a ring. And she has to go uh, buy a, a cool uh, jacket that she sees in the window. Um, and then we, uh, we get them the meeting on the train station platform. And uh, she's like, oh, I have to admit, you know, this, is, this was really all my fault. I could have helped that old lady, but I didn't. And Clay's like, man, it's so good that you're coming around on this. Also, I found your button. Um, it was in an <laughs> envelope in my car. And I, I think maybe you took my, my quarter instead. Um, at which point she freaks out so much that she falls off of the platform onto the train tracks. And presumably was going to die no matter how this happened. Because she just straight up lands on the train tracks and does not get up. And there's um, a train right there. Yeah. yeah. There's also, she said, "Time for her to be saved." She says to Clay, "You never stopped believing in me," which which is not true. Which when is did he start believing in her? <laughs> when he gave her the ten thousand dollars, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But the, the 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 great thing though I, about the train being like like her imminent death from the train is, as I was saying, there's a moment where you, as a member of the audience, I feel like are like. Oh, so she's not literally going to get dragged to hell. It's going to be like a metaphor where she just gets hit by a train and she dies. And then she literally gets dragged to hell because the earth opens up beneath her as the train passes over. Sure does. No, I think that that's the the fact that it's not just the train, but it's a train running over her as she's getting like dragged to hell. I think it's important because I feel like it would have been a huge cop out if it was just her being hit by a train on accident because she freaked out about a button. No, like the fact that the fucking demons came out and straight like the earth fucking opened and the great maw of Hades swallowed her whole and her face melted off and shit. Although I don't know how Clay survived like with his hand sticking out as the train was going by, but you know what, whatever. The, the, the shot of Justin Long's face, like, Everything we said earlier about Justin Long, all verified, all true. Yes. But the the shot of his like tear soaked face in absolute shock as he watches the skin melt off of Christine's face. Yeah. Is just oh, I I could eat it. It's it's <laughs> beautiful. Put it on some toast. Yeah. Mm. Justin Long's pain. Yeah. Yum 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 yum. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the end of the movie. She gets dragged to hell, and then we didn't cut to credits. Um, yeah, the, it says the, what it says on the box. Yeah. You, you notably, can't say it doesn't fulfill its core promise. Notably, I so I saw this movie in the movie theater uh, on release uh, with my then girlfriend and a friend of mine who's a big horror movie guy and um when it started and the the young child got dragged to hell and it cut straight to the title card i was like hey that's neat somebody got dragged to hell and then it cut to the title card and then at the end when christine gets dragged to hell and then it cuts to the title card i like stood up and walked around (laughs) because i was just that was just yes i that cut to title card like 
fucking tears for fears playing yeah like like i even then recognized some of the problems of the movie and i recognized them even better 12 years later (laughs) but there was something about that cut to a title card that made me have to get some energy out yeah i i absolutely feel that because i think for all the stuff that like <laughs> is weird in the machinations of this movie in the middle of it, the like fact that this uh, you know cute white lead literally gets dragged to hell in the end of it, um, you know, is having her flesh burned and rent from her body as she's being pulled under, is like it's so it it's seen like we were talking about it. It's one of those things that like oh well it's in the title obviously it's going to happen. It's a traditional horror twist. But a lot of times those twists like still get undermined. You know, the guy comes back at the last second and then they still survive. And like, it's so, it's so ballsy to end your movie on such a like hot down note. Yeah. It, and, and, and again, subvert the expectation that, oh, there's a, they'll always beat the curse. Right. Like, like the, the notion that, oh, you can't actually get rid of a curse is not necessarily something I've seen in a lot of movies. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie Thinner. Oh yeah, I've seen Thinner. It's been a million years. Okay, Thinner is this exact movie. It even has a curse from a Romani person. Oh yeah. uh, And and features scenes in a house full of Romani people and uses the G-slur and all of that. It's very similar in every way. I also think the movie Thinner is strangely far more mean-spirited than this one. Oh mm-hmm. wow I, I know that's saying a lot mm-hmm. the characters are more hateable somehow and by the end of it the lead character that you hate who um, has been cursed to be thinner manages to pass off his curse to someone else by making them eat a pie and uh, yes. and wins and that ending sucks it sucks so bad you feel deflated and awful at the end of that movie now this is a pointed question that's a stephen king story right that is a stephen king story (laughs) that's that's a movie from the 90s that's a movie from the 90s so take the racism of this movie and multiply it by the 90s yeah i'm grimacing uh and and but but the the biggest difference between thinner and drag me to hell is that the reprehensible lead character slips the noose. Yeah. Uh, that that does sound unsatisfying. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's let's talk about some themes. Uh, let's talk about our politics here. Uh, are there any LGBTQIA themes in this movie? Anything you can point to in this? Nope. Uh, no. No. It feels painfully straight to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Justin Long straight? is a... Yeah, that's a he's a very painfully straight person. In, even if he's not in real even if he's not in real life in movie performances, he gives off a painfully straight energy. Yeah. Um so, I don't uh, want to presume his real life sexuality, and who knows what it is in yeah. real life. I how hope do we feel... he's free and comfortable, but in <laughs> movies, ooh, is he straight? So how do we feel about how this movie deals with uh mental health and physical disability here? Bad. Yeah, bad. A lot of gross physical disability 
uh, dealing with being elderly. Yeah. Hey, do you yeah. use dentures? Well, guess what? This movie thinks you're gross. Do you have a cough? By the way, are you old? Are you, old? Have, are you, are you blind in one eye? Uh, this yeah. movie thinks you're gross. Also, do you have alcoholism? You are unhelpable. <laughs> and yeah. your family should just stay away from you. Uh, I mean, I, I, note I do, we get about her mom in the whole movie. She's I do read that. I do read that as Christine being uncharitable to her mother. Sure. Like I not mean, wanting to help her mother. Yeah. And who, that is how she, she bonds she with the shitty mom is like, yeah. Like our parents are both alcoholics and best forgotten. Yeah. God. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. what makes the mom like Chris is it's like she has a shitty alcoholic relative. I have a shitty alcoholic relative. We are the same, you and I. Yeah. I mean, there's also the fat phobia. There's a, a, a popular, oh. like, internet theory that this movie is actually about someone dealing with an eating disorder. But I don't think that that's, like, really grounded in reality so much as, like, the fat phobia of this movie. That seems more yeah, like a I, talking point about thinner. Yeah, yeah I wish. Thinners. Yeah. I wish that was the case because then the fat phobia would have a point, whereas it just feels mean spirited and bullying here. Like, yeah. I don't see any point other than just. It's just another part of her past of she's trying to forget and get away from. Yeah. The fact that there was something called a pork queen and it was that, yeah, anyway, like that, that whole cons- is not good. I mean, I assume that it actually had to do with like raising pigs. Is what I would hope that yeah, the contest I mean, was actually. Know, I would for. assume, I would assume yeah. it's somewhere like uh, good chunks of North Carolina, especially Eastern North Carolina, where like raising pigs is the big thing. So like you would have a fair or a festival of some sort, in which you know there would be some sort of beauty competition or something for girls, and somebody would win the title of pork queen because it's a pork <laughs> festival of some sort. Yeah, but it's still the context that the movie shows it is. Yeah. That it yeah. is the context that this is utilized. I think it's the context in which Christine views it, right? Like yeah. She's ashamed of everything about who she is and where she comes from. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. I'm going to hedge around the important one here. Uh, but uh, let's, uh, let's, ask, let's ask this question. Guys, is Drag Me to Hell feminist? No. No. Everybody sucks. It's, it doesn't have like Movies all of the message. Can't be feminist. I, I mean, yeah. this movie tries to deal with like workplace sexism, but then it said, but then its message is like, look, you just girl boss cruelty your way through sexism and you can like you can get through it by just being a bot by just being like girl bossing hard enough. And well, well, but but the girl bossing, people. but the girl bossing doesn't work. That's no. what she gets damned for. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, like, she's. She's damned for gaslight, gatekeep, and girl boss. Like, it's yeah, all like, there. Again, yeah. in a world where there aren't curses, fucking she's assistant manager. She got that locked up by, like, by being cruel. I, I think there is a reading of every... The, the inciting incident of this movie being workplace sexism and an environment of toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah. but it doesn't really say but, anything with that. But it doesn't say anything with that, and you have to you have to put that reading on top of it. Yeah. The the movie itself doesn't give you that read. Um, but you, you it plants a seed that it doesn't pay off on, unfortunately. Ultimately. Yeah. I feel like 
she is very much a like a oh big quotes like white feminist in this movie where like she is all about like moving up and you know employing this this girl boss mm-hmm. attitude to punch down on people who don't have anything who can't who can't get her anything while simultaneously like kissing up to the parents and the boss and everybody who is toxic so that she can move up in class um while you know you know pushing this <laughs> pushing this woman literally down uh yeah. to step on her i just think that the uh the the messaging is just too muddled for it to be read any any particular way um much less feminist other than like other than problematic right yeah um you know the 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 fact that it's about a woman being shitty and getting her come up it's like sure but the fact that everything else that is there is there just dilutes any sort of um meaning out of it like i yeah like there's no the, the messaging just as an incomprehensible at that point there's a lot of subtext but it's hard to know how much of it is intentional yeah yeah absolutely um now i guess we've talked a lot about this so do we have anything else to say about how this movie deals with race and class uh no um yeah i think we've pretty much no yeah it it does Um, exotify all the non-white people um yeah I think it has more to say intentionally about class. Yeah. Yeah. We've uh, added an interpretation to make Ram Joss awesome that isn't actually <laughs> in the text of the movie, so it does not count. Yeah. It, it, I, I think there is some some stuff in here about uh, when you're white people trying to be socially mobile, mm-hmm. upwardly mobile, uh, both denying their own class history and steamrolling over um, people that they see as below them. There's there's a lot of that in here, and if there's anything that's clearly that the movie is clearly trying to say that fits into these boxes, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's absolutely true. I think the the weird thing to me when we think about the like anti Roma racism and this is like I know like it's not generally as big a thing in america it's a much more prevalent ongoing concern in europe um but also the like idea of having this main character be or having this you know bad guy be of this ethnicity so that she can then curse our our main character while simultaneously making it like like she's supposed to be a scary roma lady but also part of like our general insecurity in the western world about roma people is that they're nomadic and like people are you know creeped out by people who don't have their own you know place that they exist their own place that they own coming into their community and being part of it and that the central thing about this movie is that they're taking away this woman's home is weird like it's just a weird decision to me yeah for such a yeah. stereotype they didn't get that part of the stereotype, which has a mortgage very tied to that one. House. I mean, to me, it just spoke to God was any was any research actually done into the Roma people beyond just stereotypes to do curses. I just I just didn't even think about that. Like the whole time, like I think 
the, the fact that this conflict about a Roma woman. Um, I mean, maybe I it's we're surrounded by stereotypes, but the only stereotype that is not adhered to is the fact that she's like she has a mortgage. <laughs> Is is there anything to lead us to believe that it wasn't a young Sylvia Ganoush that like cursed the young like Mexican boy the first time around and sent him to hell? Is she just been sending people to hell in Pasadena like for 40 years? I mean, I assume so. But I think that actually short trip. Right. Um, That actually uh, reinforces the idea that this whole thing about um home loans and stuff like that um was added on later because the fact that this is this movie is is topical in that it is about that particular subject in that time yeah everybody but it's knows also, how scared we are of roma people and their home loans yeah or <laughs> darn those roma people and their stubborn insistence on laying down roots in a singular location <laughs> Right. I'm doing this stereotype right, I think. God, yeah, I mean, I, that was just that was just something that popped up to me throughout talking about this or you know yeah. writing up this movie last night. That I was like, hey, wait, please let us know. Please just note that this is just a discussion of the stereotypes and the use of it within this film. We are in no way actually disparaging or any Romani people from pursuing oh, no. home ownership. Like that would be crazy pants nonsense sauce. But well, I think that 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 idea of like the of a supposedly roma woman trying to get an extension so she could like you know put down roots would work in a movie that it is that is very overtly trying to subvert stereotypes like if this was a movie that was making fun of that trope I think that would be kind of great. Like if there was a movie, I don't think it's about that time. And I don't think this movie can, you know, this is definitely not that movie. Absolutely not. But if there was a movie that it was, that was a, uh, like a depiction of Roma culture in America, you know, and talking about Roma history. And then also like talks about um, like, you know, had the trope of the Roma curse but then also had this element to it just to subvert. I think that would be kind of funny but in a it way. It doesn't but... feel like subversions. It feels like they didn't even do enough research yes. to get the stereotype fully right. Yeah. So there was an element of this film, and this is, this is I don't know how here nor there this is, but the, um, the ident, the universal ident at the beginning and then there was a universal ident at the end which were from like the 60s so there was like i guess this sort of deliberate grindhouse quality to this where they were trying to make it seem like a classic horror movie somehow i don't know why that decision was made that's the only reason that i can guess is that they were trying to hearken back to you know this this grindhouse horror atmosphere but you know, again, it didn't make anything better. It's it's it was very much of the on trend of 2009, right? Uh, I didn't know. I didn't catch that actually, like that trend. So, well, I mean, there, that was not long after the movie Grindhouse uh, oh. was released. I think that was 07. So, it it would be on trend to kind of like try to capture that aesthetic. 
Yeah, these okay. apparently both these logos were used in the eighties, which uh, is also when Sam Raimi you know, started doing horror movies. So I don't, maybe that's part of it. It's, maybe it's just trying I, to. I, be part I, of it, yeah. I I think maybe it was meant to be evocative of Evil Dead. I I yeah. When this movie came out, I very much remember it being held up as Sam Raimi's return to you know the dance that brung him. It's because uh, he had been doing. <laughs> It, he'd been doing, yeah, exactly. Uh, he'd been doing Spider-Man for, you know, almost a decade at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and crime and you know, all those other genres Jeremy mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago um, and, and had not been doing horror. And so I think there was a sense of like, Sam Raby's back uh, oh, okay. with this. Uh, so maybe that was it. yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, because I totally had forgotten about the context of like planet terror and um, death proof and like the yeah. machete kills and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that tracks. Yeah, I was trying to think, I guess, uh, I guess Army of Darkness would have been the last thing that would have been even sort of tendentially considered a horror movie. Yeah, had that, had, that had been 17 years, 16 yeah. years. I mean, in the middle of that is The Gift, which is also a movie about a fortune teller, but she's a white fortune teller, so she helps the cops find kids instead. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm just going to leave that there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. But yeah, it's, you know, uh, yeah, because, you know, Army of Darkness, yeah, is 92 and Drag Me to Hell is 2009. So he hadn't done anything uh, really scary other than, you know, for the love of the game, if you don't. I like baseball. Um, that, that one mm. Dr. Octopus scene in Spider-Man 2. Right. That was, well, it's that a was great the, scene. It is a great scene. Yes. <laughs> the only one I remember. I like Spider-Man 2. Anyway. <laughs> that's, that's what we should recommend. Go watch, go watch that one scene in Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2. Um, all right. So that said, do we recommend people who are listening to this? Would we recommend people go check it out? No. I'm going to just list my recommendation here. Go watch Evil Dead 2. You'll have yes. way more fun. It's a way more confident, imaginative, inventive film with a much more confident tone and story. And it's the cornerstone for all horror comedy films. So go see Evil Dead 2 instead of this film. And if you've already seen Evil Dead 2, watch it again. It's great. Uh, I mean, on top of Evil Dead 2, uh, you could also watch, whoops, uh, you could also watch Army of Darkness, which is also yeah. extremely yeah. good. I I have extremely mixed feelings about this movie, and I I do appreciate the way that it sticks the landing, but it is hard to recommend to anyone now. Uh, oh, yeah. So I would probably not give it a recommendation. Yeah, it is it's difficult for me because I, and I remember really enjoying this movie when I saw it in 2009. Um, I enjoyed it much less this time, but I also knew what was going to happen. And I think the, the biggest, the biggest thrill this movie holds is the end. Um, you know, the end and the seance scene, uh, are sort of the, the best things that this movie has to give. Um, and, and so like there there is a lot to get over in the middle of it um so yeah i i think i would recommend watching you know the whole evil dead trilogy over over watching this you know there is 
Like it, it really does stick that landing, but the stuff that the stuff that it does while flipping in the air is not very good. Um, and it is ultimately, ultimately very PG 13 in its horror. There's a lot of, you know, banging on doors and cupboards opening and shadows it, on windows. It replaces, it mostly replaces blood except for what shoots out of Christine's nose yeah. uh, with like bugs and Bodily just fluid. general goo and, uh, and, and that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, there's the all this grossy. It is gross. Yeah. 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 Uh, so uh, other than what we've already mentioned, does anybody else have any, Matt, did you have any other recommendations for people? If they did, they do like this movie, they want to check something else out. Um, I, well, I mentioned Ash versus Evil Dead, and despite it having, again, some similar uh, cultural sensitivity issues at points, um, I do think it is a fun show for fans of Sam Raimi, um, and it is all on, oh. or it was all on Netflix. I don't know if I, it still is. I love Ash versus Evil Dead. It's such a fun show. Yeah, uh, so that is definitely worth checking out if you like that kind of Sam Raimi feel. And it's not PG-13 in the least. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you, Ben? Uh, like I said, definitely, uh, like I said, Evil Dead 2 in terms of recommendations. Um, yeah, otherwise, you know, I think if you're looking for a real like kind of demon possession or demon movie, you know, I'd recommend some other movies we've covered, like um, It Follows for more horror or Jennifer's Body for a better uh, kind of spoopy horror movie. Absolutely. Uh, Emily, what have you got? Um, Well, if somebody uh, enjoyed this movie, my first recommendation is to ask them why. Um, But (laughs) Um, no, there's, there's, there are enjoyable Sam Raimi bits of this film. And if you like those bits, um, there's a lot of movies. We've talked about the evil dead. Um, but if you want something that is similar, but not Sam Raimi and definitely no, no attempt at a message, um, try dead alive. That movie is, is slapstick zombie murder. Um, and is entirely gross and not at all. PG 13. Those um, parts of this movie remind me a lot of Dead Alive, but it never quite goes as fucking bonkers as Dead Alive yeah. is. No. Also, also Dead Alive has the priest who kicks ass for the Lord. So yes, and the zombie baby, <laughs> and the so, zombie baby. Yeah. So like, if you because I the most enjoyable parts of this film were like the anvil and the eyes shooting out and stuff like that. So if you like that, watch watch Dead Alive. Go watch some trauma movies. Be careful though. There's a there's a scene in Dead Alive that like made me violently ill watching it. Uh, they're eating porridge and the pieces of the I think it's the mom are falling into the porridge as, as they're eating it. It's just like oh no. Yeah, at least the, there's zombiness for the old lady that makes it gross rather than just because. And she also is like not a sympathetic character at all. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I've I've. That is the only movie I've ever dry heaved during. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's it is it's fun. It is extremely gross. So if, if you've got a problem with you know body horror stuff or, or grossness, I, I would not uh, I would not advise. It's, it's I personally that, made go ahead. 
I personally may take a pass on that. My stomach is very weak. Yeah. It, shockingly enough, that is not the Peter Jackson movie that uh, was so gross that I had to stop watching it. Uh, that was Meet the Feebles. Yes. That one is also pretty fucking very disgusting. Gross. There's also Bad Taste, which is up there in grossness. It, I mean, it's a, he made some gross movies. What it says on the box as well. Yeah, it definitely does. <laughs> um, I will say that when I, uh, at the end of this movie, as credits are rolling, my partner turns to me and says, this is a really weird thing to say, but Supernatural was better. <laughs> so I know a lot of people love Supernatural and I'm not savage. You know, I know it's uh, um but you know Supernatural also Supernatural does have its own sins but I will say Supernatural is better. So if you want something this PG PG13 and involves, you know, curses and trying to solve them and has a uh, much less racism um watch Supernatural and they might even almost have some sort of lgbt situation but you know again that's that is a a fan projection that i am not going to address yeah. in any way other than that because you know yeah it's, you could do a whole podcast Slippery on slope. supernatural and queer baiting oh yeah <laughs> i'm sure it exists already um oh for sure yeah i for the most part i would echo uh what other people said about evil dead evil dead 2 army of darkness um they're all worth watching um i i generally I do enjoy sam raimi stuff and there there is you know things that land in here for me um just not quite all of it um also you know if, if you like sam raimi and you haven't seen uh spider-man 2 or dark man for that matter those are also very well worth checking out um what i would say is if you want something that delivers a bit more on the uh the funny horror movie um uh, I just uh, just the other night rewatched uh, Wolf Cop, um, and Wolf Cop is uh, it's a lot. Uh, it is about a cop who uh, becomes a werewolf, and uh, you know goes around dispensing justice to you know drug dealers and gangsters around his town, uh, and drinking liquor and eating donuts because you know um, also very Canadian. Um, Dogs but, can't have donuts. That's not healthy for wolves. <laughs> Man, why is is it Canadian? Because donuts is every movie with donuts in its title Canadian. Canadians just love late night donuts, man. I don't know. And werewolves. For some reason, for some reason in the U.S., we're under the impression that donuts are like a morning thing, and Canada seems to have figured this out that it's not it's not strictly a morning thing. You can have donuts anytime. They're great. Um, yeah, but that does it for me, and uh, I think that that wraps up for us now. Uh, Matt, can you let people know where they can find you online? Yes, uh, I have tried to consolidate everything into one place, so I don't have to give a huge list of things. Uh, you can find links to basically all of my internet-based work at mattdwilson.net. It has links to the podcasts that I co-host, the comics that I have written, the books uh, that I've written and everywhere that I am on social media um, that has, that has it all uh, quickly run down recent stuff. Uh, War Rocket Ajax, a comics and pop culture podcast uh, movie fighters slash snack situation, a movies and snacks podcast. Uh, there's everything will be okay. A graphic novel about every disaster happening at the same time. 
And uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at the Matt D Wilson. That's basically my na- number one main social media. And uh, Emily, can you uh, go over where people can find you online? Um, Megamoth, Megamoth, Twitter, Tumblr, Patreon, uh, Mega Period Moth on TikTok, Mega Underscore Moth on Instagram, and Megamoth.net. Um, awesome. Yeah, that's where I am. And uh, Ben, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at, at @benthecon. Uh, I do. I have a website because you know we all remember websites when those were things at BenConComics.com. Uh, Renegade Rule is out in stores now, and you can pre-order the graphic novel for uh, the Immortals Phoenix Rising video game comic tie-in, uh, which will be out this November. Nice. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrum58. I am. My website is jeremywhitley.com, and you can uh, pre-order the second volume of School for Extraterrestrial Girls, which uh, should be out this fall, um, coming soon. We just had a, a release for free comic book day. If you didn't find that, I'm sure it's available online now. Um, the first volume is out there already as well. As for the podcast, we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash progressively horrified. We'd love it if you enjoy the show. If you could come in and just you know, drop $5. For five bucks, you get uh, advanced episodes. You get one week before they actually come out in the podcast feed. And you'll get our special podcast on the Fast and the Furious, Progressively Furious. Um, You can also find us online at Prague Horror Pod. Our website is progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm. And we'd love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review there when you check it out and let other people know about the show. And huge thank you for Matt for coming on tonight. Matt, we really enjoyed having you. Yeah, Thank you, Matt. This was awesome. Thank, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Matt. This was great. Uh, thank you, all of you. I this was very fun to talk about. I, I, again, I, I like the the range of of thoughts and opinions. <laughs> we we have no shortage of thoughts and opinions. That's for sure. Mm, surplus, even <laughs> perhaps. And uh, <laughs> thank you, as always, to Emily and Ben, and thank you to all of you for listening. We appreciate you, and we will see you next time. Until then, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode featured Ben Kahn, Emily Martin, and Matt Wilson. All opinions expressed are by, by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and is provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Support us on Patreon or contact us on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com.